SEP Fanfic Readings Presents Measure of a Man by In a Days 22 Chapter 25 Trouble August 3rd, 2011 Trouble never slept. It lingered out of sight, making itself known slowly, then all at once. In Hermione's vegetable garden, wilt and yellowing leaves were usually the first sign of Trouble's arrival. A normal occurrence, it could be corrected with more or less attention in the form of water or light or time. But sometimes, trouble started out of sight, at the roots. The first sign was already too late. The same concept applied to people, to Scorpius. Hindsight was a course Hermione took, and the current lesson began a little over a week ago, in the form of a pause during a sign language session, when the little boy cast a frowning glance at his hands and the two fingers he absently tapped together. Like all his other moody moments, she smoothed it away with a thumb. A small smile had been offered in return, but it hadn't reached his eyes. Not uncommon, but now Hermione knew the look's name. Trouble. Days passed and more signs appeared. Scattered concentration, distant looks, swelling frustration. A haunting sadness settled over Scorpius like a mist, visible yet uncatchable. It dimmed the light in his eyes, depleted his energy, and made him cling to anything. The cactus, her, Draco, even Catherine. And four days ago, when Hermione found him hiding under the covers in her guest room while he was supposed to be in lessons, she joined him, accepting the reality that Trouble was here to stay until they figured out the route. Like any gardener would, Hermione cultivated the rough patches and paid close attention, looking for any signs of spreading— she spent a little more time tending to him, but instead of tackling the problem on her own, she reached for outside help. Catherine monitored him during lessons, Narcissa suspended her efforts for closeness, and Draco remained present, keeping their routine and bond stable, which ended in a lot of moments with little feet tucked under his father's leg. In the late hours, they discussed suspicions and solutions for the change in Scorpius's mood, but neither had concrete ideas. But he got worse. Subtle trouble became obvious when his mood browned. He stopped smiling or responding to Draco's promise of tomorrow, and was visibly anxious as his cry for help grew louder. Hermione was at a loss. She tried to talk to him and comfort him, but it was hard not knowing what was wrong. Scorpius's mood infected those around him. Draco reverted back to uncertainty, all growing confidence smothered. She mourned the loss of progress. Narcissa began trying to push for engagement, like everything was all right, until Hermione had to tell her privately that it wasn't. He wasn't. And the biggest sign yet occurred that morning. Scorpius refused to sign. It made for a horrible day for everyone around him, including herself. Goldstein had notified her that he was finished working on her wards the day before, and Hermione was fully cleared to return home. But how could she now? Hermione wrestled with the decision all day, but she found her answer when Scorpius took to the outdoors in his pajamas, ignoring Catherine's call for bedtime. She and Draco had plans as part of their... Well, Hermione still had no name for something they had only done twice before due to the chaos occurring at the Ministry. Both evenings were nice, even if it colored their worries for his son. Instead of a stroll across Albert Bridge for a night view and conversation... They watched Scorpius lie on the grass in the middle of the garden, his chest rising and falling slowly as he inhaled and exhaled. 
A silent exchange rescheduled their plans. Hermione could feel emotions thicken in her chest at the reality of him struggling like this, but the quiet stress bleeding from his father stopped hers from cresting. Draco was every bit a strategist, methodical rather than intuitive. He had no solution to a problem he had no experience of handling, and she knew he was even more helpless without the proper tools. But she had them. Sometimes when I feel nervous or scared, when everything feels too big and I'm worried, I look to the sky and breathe. But clouds covered the stars tonight, even Polaris. The waxing crescent occasionally parted to allow some light to fall. It was nice, but without the stars, Scorpius was as adrift as a sailor who had lost their true north. He wasn't the only lost soul, either. Draco's hands were clasped behind him, his expression both thoughtful and puzzled. The closer Hermione looked, the more signs of tension became evident. The way he carried himself, the undone button and lack of tie. But the clearest sign was his hair, which looked tussled from his hands. Should I go to him? Draco sounded so unsure. I don't know what he's doing. Coping, I think. Hermione coiled a bit of hair around her finger. I'm not sure. Scorpius looked so small out there alone. The sight tugged at her, hard, growing more difficult to witness by the minute. Now that the warding has completed your home, I understand you were to return tonight. I don't want to leave while he's like this, if that's okay with you. The change in her added presence was new, and Scorpius knew it to be temporary, but it seemed counterproductive to leave at the height of his turmoil. I want to see if I can help him first, and, well, it's a little late for that walk, but I'm sure we can still find something to debate about. There was a pause as he shifted his weight from one foot to the other. You do have very strong opinions about how I organize the books in my office. It's chaotic at best, unorganized at worst. A weak smile tugged at her lips. Maybe a methodical act would relax him. First things first. Can you make us tea? If we're not back by the time you finish, bring a blanket and prepare to wait him out. He clearly found the request odd. What are you going to do? Improvise. Hermione pulled her hair into a high bun. I am situationally capable. Uttered with determination, the comment brought her to Scorpius's side. Hermione laid next to him in the grass, feeling it tickle her exposed skin as she joined his search of the sky. It was dark, and the breeze was gentle, albeit intermittent, carrying with it the ominous scent of rain. But it wouldn't storm, not tonight at least. How can I help? The question was low and careful, just between them. She sought permission to ask almost as much as an answer. Scorpius turned to her, akin to a physical blow. It struck her that in so little time, what started as a spot of trouble had browned so badly. I may not know what you're feeling right now, but I do know something is bothering you. She noticed his intense focus on her. And that's okay. We're all just worried about you. Stress flickered across his frowning face. He lifted his hands to sign, but pulled them close to his chest, clearly torn, hurt by something invisible that kept him clam up. The ache in her chest worsened. It's okay if you can't tell us. We worry because we care, but I won't make you sign to me. It's always your choice, when you're ready. When you feel like you can. You know that, right? Scorpius nodded slowly. Good. Hermione gave him a patient smile picking a blade of grass from his hair. I did notice you were looking for the stars. 
It's cloudy, so you can't see them, but they're always there. Remember what I said before? A little hand found the sleeve of her shirt, and that was all the answer she needed. Breathe. Scorpius took an audible breath and exhaled, then another. By the third, he was shifting closer to shorten his reach. Relief made her head swim. It was tentative, but something Hermione held on to nonetheless. Hope ran eternal, and hers helped to remove the immobile feeling and allowed her to focus on the bigger picture. Scorpius was focused on her instead of the sky, seeking her out in small actions. Not as lost as she thought. When you're ready, we can go inside and I'll make you and your dad the biscuits you both like. The prospect intrigued him, but she was ready for the punchline. You can help. I'll even let you shape them however you like. That got them up and moving, entering the house hand in hand. Just as Draco was placing two cups of tea on the island with what looked like a glass of milk, for Scorpius. Hermione directed the little boy to wash his hands, and he left with a nod, still very muted but responsive. How did you manage that? We're going to bake lemon biscuits. She sidestepped Draco to wash her hands at the sink. I bake pie when I'm upset. I thought it might work for him. Is that what Potter meant by sad pie? You remember that? Hermione dried her hands on a clean cloth with a mortified cringe. Well, yes. First order of business was to fish her recipe book from her bag. If Draco expressed any exasperation or amusement, it vanished by the time he took his seat at the island. Scorpius returned to her setting up with fresh hands and a blank expression. She missed his smile. But Hermione kept hers in place. With just tea, Draco had little to hide from her notice. He was watching. Lemon zest and juice, butter, caster sugar, egg, flour, baking powder. Hermione mixed the liquids, guided Scorpius step by step through the measuring and mixing the solids. And once combined and settled, they shaped the dough into little triangles, his choice. While the biscuits baked, Scorpius trailed after Hermione as she cleaned, helping despite appearing a little tired and needy. She waited until the triangle biscuits were done, cooled, and with a few consumed before making her next suggestion. Pick any book you want. Draco waited with her on the sofa, leaving a Scorpius-sized space between them that was filled upon his return. He presented his book of choice to his father first. Is this the story you want to hear? There was still a gruff uncertainty about Draco. Where the wild things are. He cocked a brow and looked at her. You're doing, I presume? Correct, but only because it's Al's favorite, and I've read it to him a few times. Scorpius had little reaction to hearing his friend's name, just more out-of-character sullenness as he handed her the book, his lips slightly poked. Are you okay? The question stilled him. Hermione had a flashback to the very first time she'd asked, but unlike the memorable day in front of the window, he didn't break. Instead, his little body went rigid. Although close enough to rest a hand on him, Draco didn't. He only boldly observed. Comfort was uncharted territory only Hermione had weathered. Scorpius, meanwhile, took a breath that worried her and actually crawled into her lap, tucking the top of his head into the crook of her neck. It wasn't new, but Scorpius had only done it once before. Hermione accepted his weight, noting just how tense he was. Even when she wrapped an arm around him, he didn't settle. Scorpius wasn't himself, and Draco could tell enough to slide closer when his son stared at him. When he put his feet in his father's lap, he seemed a little more settled, but still not right. 
She started reading to quell the worry that was weighing on her. Draco rested a hand on Scorpius's ankle. As Hermione read, her eyes wandered between three points, the book, the child in her lap, and the man who was looking on and listening. The story progressed, and Scorpius did the opposite of what she had expected, tensing more instead of relaxing, listening instead of wanting to turn the pages. Something was definitely wrong. The list of possibilities in her head grew, but she couldn't pinpoint one, so Hermione read on as it became more and more apparent that Scorpius was not okay. He didn't want her to stop, given his reaction when she asked, pointing to the page as if to go on, as if he needed the distraction. Not that it was working. I have nothing now but praise for my life, Hermione read carefully, struggling to ignore the deep breath Scorpius took. So sharp it made Draco pat his ankle in awkward reassurance. I'm not unhappy. I... The tiny sob sounded like a cough. She froze, looking down at Scorpius, whose eyes were heavy with unshed tears. He pointed at the book, urging her to continue. But story time was over. It's okay. Before Hermione could place the book on the table, he crumpled. She dropped it anyway, forgotten at her feet, in favor of gathering the little boy in her arms and holding him close as he cried it out. He let go of everything he'd been holding in, all while she mentally finished the passage that broke him. I cry a lot because I miss people. They die and I can't stop them. They leave me and I love them more. What was wrong with Scorpius was simple. One word that encompassed so many emotions and had thousands of faces that didn't look the same. One word that had a beginning, but no middle or end. It could be created, but not destroyed. Only shifted, flared, and dulled. Grief. There was no telling what sparked it in Scorpius. It didn't matter how well he had been in the months since she had last held him like this. There was still a hole in his life that he could only be filled by someone who was gone. He mourned the absence, and Hermione just held on to him, his sobs echoing in the quiet room. She tried, truly tried, but hearing Scorpius so upset, feeling him shake in her arms, it was more than sadness, a different sort of pain Hermione would never understand, could never ignore, not even if she wanted to. It tore her down, and she surrendered, closing her eyes and losing herself in the deafening sound of Scorpius's grief. And though she felt tears stinging her own eyes, Hermione did her best to comfort him, even when her heart was being squeezed too tight. She felt a familiar helplessness, one that wanted to take it away, but she couldn't. And more than that, she felt overwhelmed by the true depth of sadness that he opened up before her, unmoored, alone. But she wasn't. How long before she remembered Draco's presence, Hermione had no idea. She opened her eyes, and there he was, moved to his knees in front of her, looking carefully blank, torn. And strangely enough, knowing she wasn't the only one who had lost themselves to Scorpius's misery calmed her and helped her focus. Scorpius also noticed his dad. His face was still red, wet, and miserable, but he rested his head under her chin. "'It's okay to be sad, love.' Scorpius took another shuddering breath as Hermione wiped his tears with her thumbs. A fruitless attempt is more felt to replace them. You don't have to keep it in. It happened slowly, then in a rush that left Draco rooted to the spot, staring at his son, who had unexpectedly reached for him, seeking a connection that brought them face to face, eye to eye. This was it. 
Draco's chance to build on the foundation he'd only just created. A chance to be more than a figure. A chance to be the person Scorpius sought for comfort. And he took it. Not with an overt gesture, no, he wasn't the sort, but with quiet acceptance. It was hard to tell if Draco drew him forward or Scorpius leaned into his embrace, but one second they were staring at each other, and the next Draco was hugging him, holding him in a way that was as unsteady as their bond, but it held true as the little boy gripped his dad's shirt, fully scrambling out of her arms and into his. Time passed as it always did, with Draco staring at the top of his son's head, his face a blend of emotions. Hermione allowed him the privacy to feel without her analysis. Scorpius spent it with his head over his father's heart, holding on tightly as if anxious about being let go. There was nothing to worry about. Draco wasn't letting go. Instead of more tears, Scorpius calmed, breathing in the comforting presence he'd needed all along. His father. Draco slowly moved from the floor back to the sofa, looking bewildered and overwhelmed, but there was also something content about him now, settled. Hermione excused herself to give father and son space, but Draco's hand on her knee kept her in place, his request for her presence echoing in her head. As she acquiesced, the only way she knew how. Scooting closer, she placed her hand just above his on Scorpius's back. His breathing was slow, deep, and even though his head was turned away, Hermione could tell he was awake by the way he kept adjusting his grip on Draco's shirt. Do you have anything of hers he can look at? To help him remember. I do, but my mother doesn't think he's old enough. Something shifted. If it was a change in his attitude or in the air, Hermione wasn't certain. But his jaw worked as he adjusted Scorpius in his arms. There was a moment where he seemed to waver, but then his shoulders relaxed. Hermione knew the look, having seen it so recently. A decision had been made. I'm done. What? Draco rose to his feet, maneuvering his son in his arms, and Scorpius turned his head, looking puzzled, but bleary-eyed. Reflexively, Hermione stood as well, curiously staring at the impassive man who waited for an explanation that never came. He started toward the stairs, and she followed, eyes on Scorpius, who had a thumb in his mouth and an arm around his dad's neck. They passed Scorpius's bedroom, but didn't quite get to the guest room she'd been staying in before Draco stopped at a door she must have passed so many times without notice. It appeared as if by magic. Before she could utter a question, Draco opened the door and wordlessly entered until she remained in the doorway. She knew to stay. It looked like a storage room of sorts, stacked boxes here and there, rolled up rugs piled in different corner. Puzzlement about the room's identity gave way to clarity after she spotted the telly on the floor. Astorias, or the remains of what had once been her room. Draco carried Scorpius to a portrait that was as tall as the little boy in the back of the room, angled and too far away for her to see. After putting him down, Draco kneeled next to him. She just knew what they were looking at. Or rather, who. Scorpius reached out, and Hermione looked away with a shock of understanding. Feeling and insight colored the moment deepened its hues, and set it apart from others before and after. His mood swing was a product of grief, but one clear subsection was his inability to remember his mother's face. She left to give them both time, but Draco's last murmured words caught her. "'Whatever you want to know about your mother, I'll tell you.' Tears returned, 
not of sadness, loss, or even relief for Scorpius, who needed this promise from his father more than anything. Hermione had certainly shed many tears bearing those descriptions, but not these. The tears she quietly wept were the results of being overcome with emotion. Overwhelmed by the process of piecing together lines to form an incomplete story of how they all got there. It was a story with no winners, no heroes, no stars. Ugly and tragic. Sad and lonely for all parties in different ways, some worse than others. But one person's pain never outweighed another's. And through everything, there was love in all its multifaceted glory. For Scorpius. Hermione found it all bittersweet more bitter than sweet, but it still managed to take her breath away. By the time Draco emerged alone, Hermione's eyes were dry. She'd taken down her hair and sat on the floor, legs crossed, her head resting on the wall. "'How is he?' she asked without looking. "'He seems better,' looking at his mother's portrait. "'Do you think he'll talk to her?' "'No, he can't. Astoria's portrait is mundane.' It was a last act of rebellion against my mother after demanding she commission one, as per tradition. She thought Scorpius wouldn't move on if she... was always there. It seemed Astoria had considered everything before the end, even how much she would be missed by the one she loved the most. Draco sat next to her, knees bent. There was something calm yet unsettled. Hermione couldn't fathom, but theorized that it was his calculating mind processing information rapidly, plotting. Your mother was firmly against the idea of grief counseling, but is firmly against the idea. His correction was sharp and acrid bitterness in his voice. Even though therapy didn't help me, I have a different school of thought for Scorpius. He's young. Armed with proper coping mechanisms, he can thrive. I'm doing what I can, but moments like this remind me that he needs more. Easy to forget when he's in a better mood, when he's happy and smiling. But grief is... well, you know how it works. I do. His quiet words held weight, reminding her that grief was an old foe of his. Draco had to know what it looked like. He'd seen enough of it over the years. Scorpius emerged from the room and carefully closed the door, looking calm and content. The peace he exuded was indescribable as he squeezed into the spot between them, mirroring her position while resting his head on his dad. Better? He raised his fist and answered, yes. August 5th, 2011. The key to having difficult conversations was approaching the topic with a well-thought-out goal and being prepared for an array of reactions. Timing was important as well, which was why Hermione considered calling off the entire discussion after noting Narcissa's mood at breakfast in the form of a snippy comment to the retreating form of Saxe. She and Draco exchanged a look over the top of Scorpius's head, Yes, there were signs of trouble, but not enough for them to reschedule. Scorpius stared at his grandmother, not breaking eye contact, even when offering his father a forkful of eggs. Scorpius had no problem sharing, but Draco had opted for tea in place of breakfast. Clearly, his son didn't approve of the decision. Still, he didn't refuse the offering. Hermione quietly insisted Scorpius finish his smoothie as she began planning for lunch. He would be hungry. When Scorpius finished, he completed his routine of bowing politely to his grandmother before approaching Hermione, who accepted a warm hug. Things were returning to normal after a week of turmoil. She was glad for it and felt better about returning home. Before Scorpius could present himself to his dad, Draco cleared his throat and excused himself from the table. 
tossing a bewildered look at him. Her confusion quickly morphed into surprise. Draco extended a hand to his son. He wanted to walk him to lessons. Ready? Scorpius nodded and left her side, approaching Draco and slowly slipping his hand into his father's larger one, peering up at him with a shy adoration only a five-year-old could manage. As soon as they were gone, Hermione shook the smile off her face and picked up her wand. Time to get to work. "'Before you ask, I feel quite fine this morning.' "'That's good to hear.' but Hermione didn't get a chance to further engage her in polite conversation until Draco's return, as per their plan. Narcissa rested back on her chair. Her posture was as crisp as her periwinkle robes, but the older witch was staring at her with stony scrutiny. "'I am aware that you and Draco intend to speak with me about adopting a muggle practice into my current care plan.' Hermione was floored, but quickly regained her footing. She shouldn't have been surprised— Narcissa didn't get where she was without keen observational skills, and when the opportunity arose, she already had the words arranged and didn't mince them once bit. What would have been overwhelming to most was not to Hermione. She was prepared. "'I have nothing to say on the matter to my son or you, Miss Granger.' "'Healthy and strong communication is key to your care, which means we need to talk about this.' Hermione placed her hands in her lap. Patience was the theme of the day." and given the subject of their conversation, she already knew she'd need every bit of it she could muster. "'I would appreciate it if you would listen to what we have to say, and I promise we will do the same. But first, you should finish your breakfast.' Narcissa did, but at her own pace, just like everything else. There was something lurking in the quiet glances, and the slight tremor she tried to hide. A current of unease colored her demeanor. It kept Hermione on guard, but she was better versed than ever in the language of Narcissa Malfoy, and understood her little tics. The very obvious cues indicated Narcissa wanted to speak. To her. Directly. Draco hadn't returned, which was likely why she seized the chance by placing her fork on the plate of her half-eaten food, and leveling Hermione with another one of her looks that could cut through steel. "'I may be sick, but I am not blind.' Narcissa tapped a fingernail, much like Draco did when he was restless. She had a feeling it meant something else to his mother, but she held her breath regardless, mind racing at the prospect of a conversation she was not yet ready to have. "'I know you are the reason Draco has been increasingly persistent about everything!' Hermione waited with bated breath, but when there was no mention of their shift to something, she exhaled in relief, making certain not to show it. I hardly think I can persuade him to do anything he doesn't already want to do. Perhaps not. There was a distant quality to Narcissa's voice. You have been filling his head up for months with ideas that go against our culture. Not only is it not your place, but you don't understand the concept of— It's not, nor will it ever be my place to dictate the relationship between a father and his son. Hermione held her ground for what was shaping up to be quite the dressing down— you are trying to evade, and I won't let you. I'm not the person you want to argue with. He happens to be upstairs and will return soon. I refuse to speak of and for Draco in any hypotheticals to make assumptions without him present. Draco, is it? Narcissa looked vaguely surprised. That is an interesting change. We aren't here to discuss that. I only want to talk to you about a treatment option we have both thoroughly researched— one that you continue to resist without explanation. And both of you should respect my wishes. 
or you could actually explain your wishes to me in detail. I'm more than willing to listen. Hermione sat back in her own seat, mirroring her patient's stance. When I became your healer, you wanted time, yet you rejected the most effective treatment plan. This leads me to believe that either you haven't been honest about what you want, or it's changed. I want to understand. Maybe I don't owe you anything. Perhaps not. Perhaps not. The sharp knife of Draco's voice cut through the building tension, making them both turn their heads. He stood in the archway, filling the space, with his burning glare focused on his mother. But you do owe me. Hermione watched as he approached with confident steps. She had a hard time looking away, but she managed, turning back to Narcissa as she assessed her son with a critical scrutiny. His blank expression transformed into one of patience when he sat at the head of the table, waiting. For the right moment or words, Hermione didn't know. She caught his eye momentarily and looked down at her empty plate, but not before Draco rested his elbows on the arms of the chair, linking his fingers together in a clear invitation to begin. So Hermione did just that. I'd rather not argue needlessly, Narcissa, so I propose an open dialogue. As we've discussed many times, I'd rather not. We've established this, Mother, Draco said with a careful crispness as though the words were edged and he had to be careful extracting each one. I have theories about your reasons, but you're the only one who can explain. A perfectly reasonable statement. It was the most she'd heard him talk to his mother in months, outside of arguments. Her internal wince was instinctual, even though it never made it to her outward expression. Research shows that potions, in addition to muggle medicines and therapy, both occupational and physical, would be the most effective course of treatment. There is time to begin and make additions. I have a list of excellent therapists in the area, and a squib doctor willing to start you on— You've wasted your time with this research! Draco said nothing, but appeared to be a close call. Why? Hermione took the lead. Narcissa, the only way to effectively communicate is to actually communicate. I've been stating my case with you for the last few months, as has Draco. Now it's time for you to state yours. Narcissa looked like she'd rather chew on sawdust. I don't trust muggles. That I won't deny. She looked right at Hermione, issuing a challenge. One Hermione didn't accept. I'd like to know why. I know I appear aloof. Narcissa addressed them both. I am sure you think I am keeping myself too busy to avoid what is happening to me. But I assure you I am not. I have read your care package cover to cover, Miss Granger. I reviewed each suggestion for muggle medicine in that package and have made specific inquiries regarding how they work and what they'll do to my body. Your plan involves medicines that treat the symptoms, not the cause. And while I'm aware my disease is terminal, your course of action is not worth the cost. What cost? I have seen what muggles do with their medicine. It is practically poison in a bottle. Some treatments have side effects that are worse than the disease. I would rather not subject my body to the mercy of their medicine. Draco's reaction to his mother's statement was immediate. He was rendered speechless. Hermione knew better. It wasn't a good idea for such a silence to linger any longer than necessary. After rapidly arranging and organizing them, she chose her next words carefully, very aware of the game of chess they were playing. There are also side effects with your potions. Precisely my point. I have side effects for my current potions regime, yet now you want me to suffer through more to take some muggle medicine that still will not cure me. 
No, I refuse. I am dying. Narcissa pursed her lips, an expression that spoke volumes about how difficult it was to utter the words out loud. Narcissa shut her eyes for a moment, steadying herself. I have no control over that, but I do have the ability to preserve my dignity and autonomy for as long as possible. This is my decision to make. I understand. I do. As painful as it was. But why not therapy? Occupational and physical therapy are used in conjunction with other treatments and have the potential to significantly improve your quality of life. My knowledge was limited when I first started, as you know. I'm not a professional in those areas. But I have done copious amounts of research into the matter. They have tried and tested methods for your condition. And it's not just for you. It's for Draco as well. Wait, what? The wizard at the head of the table looked extremely confused. I wasn't made aware of this. Of course it's for you as well. Hermione looked at him. She has a palliative care team, yes, but you need to know too. Draco blinked and she let him process her statement, returning to Narcissa. Occupational therapy, at the very least, will help figure out a common language of care. As for Draco, it's purely for his education. They can evaluate your home better and make suggestions that will benefit you as your disease progresses. Furthermore, while I believe what we've accomplished through gardening does help, they can pay better attention to your strengths and weaknesses both now and in the future. During her speech, Narcissa grew visibly irritated. Not nearly as bad as Draco, but close. I don't think you understand how difficult this process has been on me. Her bitterness was clear and understandable. Expected, even. It was normal to feel shock, sadness, anger, and helplessness. Coping with dying was conceptual in nature, a multifaceted process that challenged everyone and everything, even Hermione. No, I don't. Hermione's gaze stayed steady on the vulnerable woman sitting across from her. I won't understand until it's my turn. There is so much you keep to yourself that no one can even begin to try and understand. But you hired me to provide the best care. Medication aside, I— And if your plans for muggle therapies are ineffective, what then? We keep trying. No! Hermione started to speak, but hesitated upon seeing Draco, who was looking at his mother with such incredulousness that it stole her breath. Narcissa didn't notice. Her focus and attention remained on Hermione. What you're saying is that due to additional side effects, you're not willing to take the best option. Not a question, but a statement. Narcissa looked at her son, bold as ever. That is exactly what I am saying, Draco. Hermione knew in that second the discussion was about to catch fire in the worst way. The tension was suffocating, taut. Silence grew like flames she couldn't put out. There was a furious glint in his gray eyes that couldn't be ignored. She knew that look. Draco was about to snap and lay waste to the conversation. Today it was more than him spoiling for a fight. This was a long time coming. Hermione considered stopping him, seizing the reins, but she didn't. Instead, she watched him remove and fold his glasses, placing them on the table. Draco was firmly in control of himself, that much was clear, but there was something potent, not quite anger, but definitely not apathy, rolling off of him in building waves getting stronger and stronger by the second. It was far more overwhelming than the discontent still flowing freely from Narcissa. Why make him keep something inside that so clearly wanted out? Hermione braced herself for the heat. She didn't have to wait long. 
I have done everything you have asked me with little complaint. Though subtle, there was no mistaking the sharp edge in his words, crisp enough for his tongue to carve out every syllable. Just once! The crack in his voice made Hermione wince, but then he stopped, pulling himself together the same way Hermione had seen Scorpius do before, and she found herself wondering if this was a learned behavior, or if it was intrinsically him, a trait he'd passed along to his son. Draco! Narcissa said his name both as a sigh and a whisper, something that would disappear if she tried to touch it. But that was all it took for the manifestation of last night's shift to come spilling from him in a torrent. He likely couldn't have stopped himself even if he tried, and he didn't. I've spent months since your diagnosis trying to save you. When I realized I couldn't, I dedicated my time to figuring out the best option to preserve your body and mind for as long as possible. Countless hours of research. Dray, he wasn't allowing any interruptions. I created a theoretical potion to combine your current doses into one to maximize the benefits. I've even gotten Granger to agree to try it, but you don't have the fucking decency to put forth any additional effort. I don't know why I bothered investing my time when you're intent on wasting everyone else's. I'm... Draco stood abruptly. Unconsciously, Hermione raised her hand to stop him, but he was too far out of reach. Then Narcissa was on her feet. You have no idea what this has been like for me, Draco. None! Narcissa's clenched fists were shaking at her sides. There are days I wish I did not wake. Some days I wake and I do not remember anything for several minutes. I have moments... She trailed off, taking breath after breath, trying to grasp control of herself. Hermione didn't move, just let her speak. Finally. I have spent months trying to cope with the fact that I am dying, and I have little say in the matter, and even less control over what will happen to me. One day I will leave and not return to myself as I know it. Yes, the symptoms are better, but nothing will stop this. I will still forget, and one day I won't remember anything. I will still have tremors, and they will worsen. I will still end up in rooms and places I have no recollection of going into. And no matter what, I will still... Narcissa paused with difficulty. Draco, I have done everything I can to remain normal through it all. I am owed this bit of grace and dignity to choose how I decline. No one is asking you to maintain normality. Hermione kept her tone neutral. Normal is finished. You are in an entirely new world now. And you need people. You need Draco more than anyone. I know that's not what you're used to. No, it's not, Miss Granger. I have to admit to struggling, and you both want me to give up more control. It's not about controlling you. Hermione placed her hands on the table placidly. This is about protecting you. Keeping your body strong, while my mind continues to deteriorate with no hope for reversal. Mother. Fine. I will take your treatment option. Hermione's heart leapt in her chest too soon. Narcissa wasn't done. But only if you take remarrying more seriously, Draco. Attend marriage dates. Officially court one of the witches on the list. You don't have to like her or even make it official. Just make an effort. Draco visibly recoiled, first in shock, then in anger. Fury. You're actually trying to negotiate this. You want something? Narcissa folded her arms. Well, so do I. He shook his head in disbelief. You're negotiating my marriage over your quality of life. Are you? Draco's face went perfectly blank, chillingly so. No, you're not. 
I am not. The atmosphere between them devolved. Hermione remained helpless to do anything except watch. This was not her fight. You've always wanted things done your way, only bending for tactical reasons. It wasn't his quiet ire that made a shiver race down her spine. It was the dull, humorless chuckle that followed. And you wonder why we fight. I have been through every step of this alone, because you can't stand the sight of me. How can I? Draco's question was brutal. Narcissa rocked back on her heels as if taking a physical blow. And he wasn't done. You have pushed duty so far down my throat that I am suffocating on your expectations. I've done everything you've ever asked, right down to marrying someone who would never— Draco clenched his fist to force back the words. I have done everything you wanted at the expense of Scorpius and my own happiness. Now that I am free to do as I wish, you tried to bargain my future against your life. That's not what I said. No, but it is what you meant. Tiny hints of trouble that were evident in the smallest of his actions— You'll only agree to Granger's plan if I trap myself in another marriage of your choosing, because of property. That is not it, Draco. That's all it's been for you since the war. Saving face. Damage control. Rebuilding our family's name. You tell the world stories of a mother's love, but you don't give a fuck about me. That set her off. That is simply not true. Everything I've done is with you in mind. I built this all. I don't want it. I never wanted it. They can all hate me for all I care. You and our wealth and influence are the only reason society tolerates me. You know this and willfully ignore everything. You parade vapid witches in my face like I'm a prized possession. That I am a man, Draco's voice thundered. I'm not... I don't want you to be alone. Narcissa's voice was hoarse with emotion. That's why I want you to marry. There will be a time for love after, if that's what you want. But I am begging you to do this. Give Scorpius a mother. I'll be gone and you'll be alone. I am alone. I have been alone. And should I do as you wish, I'll continue to be alone. The heaviness of his confession struck Hermione like a lightning bolt, and pain rumbled in her chest. She batted an unexpected tear away and looked down, head spinning and eyes blurry until she swallowed her feelings, locked them away. Narcissa looked as if she'd been slapped. You chose to marry Astoria. You both— You didn't give her family a choice. You didn't give anyone a choice. You were so hell-bent on making an example of them that she was forced to condemn herself to a life she didn't want him. There was a magically binding contract that existed between you and Daphne. She broke it. Narcissa was not backing down. I was well within my right to enforce action with regards to... You were within your rights, yes, just as you were in your right to arrange my marriage. But not once did you think about how your actions would affect me. You only thought about your pride and your mission to recover our social standing. You've let the public's perception warp you into thinking you're a good person, when you are no better than— If this is how you think of me, then you should not be concerned with my wishes, Narcissa spat. Or me. You're right, but you're still my mother. Draco looked away, his jaw working and shoulders tense. At least have the decency to admit that you're giving up. I merely wish to have control. You accused Astoria of giving up when she elected to stop her treatments. 
even though it was clearly no longer working. Hermione went stock still. As if you ever had the right to judge her. Now you won't be afforded the kindness and dignity you never once gave her. Narcissa's anger bled into something else, and Hermione knew that look. Regret. Remorse. Astoria did everything you wanted. She tried to be a doting wife when we knew where her heart was. She gave me a son knowing it would kill her faster, and your way of thanking her was to hire end-of-life care. The weight of his words was palpable, raw, and fierce. You called her weak, but she was the strongest woman I knew. She survived four years through sheer strength of will. Not once did she give up. Not even at the end. Hermione had never heard him speak words like this. The dam had let loose and Narcissa looked swept away. Draco, I... You disrespected her in life and continue to do so in death with Scorpius. I have my faults in this. I should have done more and been present. He ran a rough hand through his hair. I'll hopefully find redemption by being a better father to him, but I won't bear responsibility for you any more. I can admit, in hindsight, that I... Narcissa was visibly struggling. Then she seemed to notice that Hermione was still present. We should continue this discussion in private. She sounded so exhausted, but her hands were shaking. But there was no way to tell if it had to do with her symptoms or the situation. Draco looked directly at Hermione. Unlike a living entity, her complete and utter speechlessness at everything he'd said must have called to him. His instinct attached itself to that wire-like thread and reeled her in, or tried to. Hermione's head and heart were running wild in opposite directions, both going at top speed as one analyzed each word and the other felt every emotion. She rubbed her hands together, a coping method for when she got like this, a distraction that didn't work, not that it could be when the biggest one in the room was across the table, looking at her, inspecting her. Do you have an issue, Granger? Perhaps Narcissa is correct. This is a private conversation that you both need to have. Oh, I'm finished discussing the matter regarding her refusal for optimal care. Draco picked up his glasses and put them back on. I commend your effort, and will respect my mother's decision to decline with grace. Before Hermione could speak, his eyes slid back to Narcissa. You have made yourself perfectly clear today, so allow me to do the same. He sounded gravely serious. Scorpius is now under my care. Narcissa was in shock and Hermione could only barely suppress her own. Draco, that is not proper. You have no idea. I will figure it out on my terms and do what's best for my son. You are not shutting me out. Narcissa took a step back. I understand I pushed him too hard. Miss Granger made that clear on several occasions, but I have made adjustments. Just because I will not comply, you are breaking from tradition and taking... This has nothing to do with tradition. Draco shook his head. This is purely about rearranging my priorities, in the order they should have been all along, with the top being the one person my wife loved more than her own life. Scorpius. I'm making peace. The look he gave Hermione took her breath away. I am atoning. And then he left. Narcissa's heartbreak was loud and clear, but remained unexpressed, hidden under the mask she wore. She smoothed down her robes, and when Hermione pulled herself together enough to stand, Narcissa held up a hand to stop her from saying anything. I am fine. Narcissa didn't sound convincing. 
This is just another one of Draco's tantrums. He will see reason. I'm perfectly fine. I'm... But she wasn't. A lone tear ran down her cheek, and more soon followed. For a long second, Hermione and Dean just stared at each other. His eyes went from her, to the overnight bag slung over her shoulder, and then to the sleeping child in her arms. Scorpius's weight made tolerable by a featherlight charm. Meanwhile, Hermione took in the sight of him wearing a colorful swaddle as he cradled a sleeping Halia close to his chest. They completed the cycle three times before he gestured her to come in. This is an unexpected development. Dean was obviously trying to keep his voice down so they didn't disturb the sleeping children. What? I'm sorry. He ran a hand over his face. I'm just used to Catherine bringing him. I offered. Draco wasn't back yet, and Catherine had been yawning all afternoon, the signs of a long day and even longer week. I'll just put him in the guest room. Come on, I'll show you. They both froze when Holly moved in the swaddle, making a small noise before settling again. Dean exhaled. She just stopped fussing. Did the potion I found work for her colic? Hermione followed Dean through the house and up the stairs to the first bedroom on the left. It did. She's not a great sleeper, naturally. Dean's smile was evident in his voice, too interested in the world to miss one second of it. The guest room was simple, but it was clear Scorpius was the only visitor they had. There was a bookshelf that was his height, and a few toys sitting on top of what looked like a toy box. After placing his bag on the dresser, Hermione waited for Dean to pull the covers back before she laid him down and tucked him in. She sat on the edge of the bed until he settled. Dean excused himself to put Holly to bed as well, and Hermione was still looking around from the doorway when he returned. Is he settled in? Yes, she gestured to the toys. Does he play with those? Not really, but he's beginning to pay more attention. Still prefers books or helps Daphne around the house or with Halia. He also draws with Albus and watches the telly with me. Hermione couldn't disguise her surprise. I know, but he likes football and I explain it to him. Dean chuckled with a shrug. He's keen on it. I've shown him other sports, too. Cricket, rugby, tennis. We listened to a Quidditch match on the wireless during his last visit, but I don't think he understands it without seeing it. I mentioned it to Malfoy, but he didn't say anything, which means he's considering it. Her quirking smile was reflexive. Of course he was. Dean caught it, but said nothing outside of a suspicious tilt of his head. Daphne's in her office if you want to say hello. Hermione did, and started to when she noticed Dean looking around. What are you looking for? We adopted a cat last month, and Cheddar is usually antisocial, but he likes— Dean was interrupted by a black cat strolling past him into the room, before hopping on the bed and purring as it curled up at Scorpius' side. Hermione smiled at the sight, and only when Dean cleared his throat did she look at him. He was giving her a curious expression that bordered on playful. What? Nothing at all. She rolled her eyes at the chuckling man who gave her a wave and went into the other room. The walk to Daphne's office was quick, but she stuttered to a halt in the doorway when she spotted Pansy sitting on the desk, looking mildly intrigued by the large box Daphne pointed her wand at. "'Did you get Holly down easily?' Daphne asked without looking. "'He did?' Hermione watched them both turn, smiles growing when they spotted her in the doorway. "'Scorpius is also asleep. You brought him over.' "'I did. Draco wasn't back yet, and Catherine was exhausted, poor dear.' The two exchanged looks that might as well have been words. Pansy's eyebrows rose. "'And how does it feel to sleep in your own bed again?' "'I haven't yet. Last night she and Scorpius fell asleep reading in Draco's office while he worked on translations. Her brain was too tired to focus on anything. 
When he roused her, Scorpius was gone, and Hermione was too tired to flew home, so she'd stayed. Oh? Hermione didn't like how that one word sounded coming from Pansy. Tonight, I'll likely, if you think we're going to let the fact that you called him Draco, just know that we won't. Daphne nodded cheerfully in agreement. Gods, Hermione rolled her eyes. You're both ridiculous. It's not a big deal. We've been working together for a while now, and... Yes, yes, allies and all that rot. Pansy waved her hand impatiently as if batting Hermione's words away like annoying flies. She folded her arms, looking particularly thoughtful as she tapped her mouth with a finger. Although, I'm not certain what outdoor scenic walking areas have to do with alliances, but... What? Pansy's leer grew along with Daphne's interest while Hermione's confidence that she would escape the conversation sank. The look she received from her friend was a metaphorical gauntlet being thrown at her feet. It was up to her, but she had a few questions. How do you know? Hermione squinted at her. She certainly hadn't told anyone. I know how to read Draco's shitty handwriting, and I saw the list of places on his desk when I went to badger him at work. I put it together pretty quickly after I left. Hold on. Daphne raised her hand. Fill me in. I'm lost. Do you want to tell, or should I? Pansy tossed her dark hair over her shoulders. My imagination is quite... Draco and I are getting to know each other better. A prelude to dating is how he explained it. He's affording me time to consider the option. Wait! A visibly shocked Pansy held up both hands. Is he courting you? Daphne blinked so many times she must have been in some sort of trance. Unofficially? The two just gawked at her their faces morphing from one expression to the next as they processed the shock of her words. Um, we're not telling anyone, so if you could keep this to yourselves, I know it might be a surprise, maybe to you! Daphne barked out a laugh. I've had my suspicions. Shite! I owe Ginny ten galleons! Pansy smirked. But she doesn't know, so I'll keep my money. I'm going to ignore the fact that you're all betting on us. Pansy's shrug was unapologetic and Daphne began laughing harder, but Hermione still felt awkward, given everything. I... is this going to be strange for you, Daph? Not at all! The blonde waved her way her worries with a flick of her wrist. You don't need my blessing, but if you want it, you have it. Draco deserves a chance to find his own happiness. Thoughts of the fight with Narcissa crapped up, and Daphne caught remnants of the memory, tilting her head curiously. What's going on, Hermione? A lot. She scrubbed a hand over her face. I'm in a state of information overload, and I'll only talk about it because you know why your sister couldn't love Draco. Pansy blew out a sharp breath. What she was implying dawned on Daphne in mere seconds. How long have you known? A week or so, and I'm... Hermione still struggled with it during the moments between waking and sleeping. I'm actually glad you're taking Scorpius for the weekend. Draco and Narcissa argued this morning, which is honestly a bit of an understatement. Narcissa is at Andromeda's. Draco and I need to talk, and I don't know how this conversation will go, so I'm glad he's here. Now they both appeared worried. It started as a discussion about muggle care, but devolved into him airing his grievances, and... Hermione exhaled as both women cringed hard. It's been a day, but Scorpius doesn't know. We had dinner alone, and he seemed okay, if a little clingy. Two days ago, he had a meltdown because he couldn't remember Astoria's face. Daphne looked away. He's fine, I think. A little fragile, but I think you should show him pictures. Talk to him about her. You, Draco, and... Theo. You all knew her best. 
Pansy laid a hand on the witch's shoulder while she nodded solemnly. Hermione checked her watch. I should go. Pansy approached her with a rare hug that was followed by a promise to discuss the newness between her and Draco at a later date. We will. Daphne joined them both, placing a hand on each of them, cutting her eyes to Pansy. Just like we're going to talk about how you had dinner with the Weasleys last night. That earned her a scowl. Wow, I just comforted you. The betrayal dinner, Hermione clung to the shift in the conversation. So soon after Harry's birthday dinner. This sounds serious. It does. There was something hidden between her words and her tone that felt ominous, like the first inklings of trouble. August 6th, 2011. A well-packed bag was important. Hermione combed through the contents of hers in preparation for their trip to the manor's greenhouse. By the time she had returned the previous night, Draco was already asleep on the sofa, and that morning, when she'd asked about keeping their planned trip, he'd only responded with a single terse word. Okay. It would have to do. Not knowing what exactly awaited them, Hermione packed everything she could think of. Trowels, empty pots, bags spelled to preserve samples, clippers, and two pairs of gloves. As it turned out, Draco was prepared as well, and casually dressed. In black, of course. Dragonhide boots, a shoulder holster, and gloves. It was just before dark when Hermione stopped out of the flue, and he waited for her in the armchair with a contemplative expression. If she had to guess, he'd probably been sitting there quite a while. Draco took one look at her and rose to his feet. "'If you're ready, we didn't get a chance to talk last night, and I know you and your mother have a lot to sort out, which isn't my place, but—' Hermione wrung her hands, feeling strange as she stood in front of him. Still, she met his stare. "'Well, I just wanted to say that should you decide not to help any longer, once I have the plans, I can continue alone.' Several heartbeats of silence passed. "'For all the arguing to get you to—' He glanced away, a short breath escaping him. "'Never mind.' But Hermione understood what he was trying to say. "'Your mother is my patient, and as such— I am duty-bound by oath to provide the best care. My personal feelings, while I'm still trying to process them, aren't involved in this decision. And this, she gestured between them, won't impact my work at all. You were right before. We can't force her to do what we feel is right. I spent the day shifting my plans towards maintaining her quality of life, and I still believe this potion will help. Draco said nothing for a long time, eyes firmly elsewhere even as his gloved hands found hers. The feeling of puzzled bewilderment momentarily scattered her thoughts before they reformed. He looked tired, a bit brittle, not that he would confess as much. Hermione considered abandoning the trip, but knew he would see right through the act. Still, she did what she could in the moment, and held his hand in comfort, an act of solidarity despite the unspoken concern for his mother. "'I know this is difficult. It's inevitable.' Draco let go of her hand to retrieve his wand from the table, tucking it into his holster. Firm, yet even, his face was blank, save for a whisper of emotion. This is nothing new. Not even a year had passed since his last brush with mortality. Something painful swept across his face before he pulled it closer, tighter, then suffocated it out of existence. I'll walk this path with you. Draco's jaw clenched. Because it's your job. It is. The urge to say more was suppressed by her purposeful step into his space, ignoring the dismissiveness rolling off of him in pursuit of something more. The truth in touch and beneath words. Draco didn't retreat, but it looked like he might. 
Still, Hermione pressed, encouraged by the scrape of leather across her wrists. You're not as alone as you think you are. It was not the first time she'd uttered those words. Much like the last time, heat set her chest ablaze, and the warmth of the flames reached her face. Draco swallowed, his Adam's apple bobbing, thick in his throat. It might have been her imagination, but the way he looked at her right then felt like being grabbed tightly, with no room to move. But then his gaze skirted over her head to the darkening skies beyond the window. We should go. That was a good idea. Uh, how are we getting there? Hermione folded her arms across her chest, taking a step back to catch her breath. The Ministry has the entire area warded off. The area around the manor is warded, but not the entire property. I thought we would apparate close to the greenhouse and walk the rest of the way. Draco offered an arm, and she accepted with only the faintest argument. They landed in the clearing outside of the forest. The dying sun was still in the sky, blocked mostly by the trees, though they couldn't shield her from seeing the distant, magical dome containing the flames from the burning manor. Hermione looked back for a glimpse, but Draco never did, only walked towards the forest edge. Follow me. Hermione did, ducking under branches and stepping over old, hollow tree trunks. As they moved deeper, the trees thickened, and their surroundings grew darker, pretentious. They took out their wands for light. It was brisk enough for her to feel a chill in the air, but not need a charm. The cold helped Hermione feel focused and aware, ever alert. She paid attention to the man in front of her, who never got too far ahead, and glanced back every so often to make certain she was there. When Draco stopped, Hermione stood beside him and looked around. This is it. This was apparently just the middle of nowhere, but Hermione had been in enough magical situations to not say anything stupid, even though it was on the tip of her tongue. Draco lifted his right hand, shut his eyes, and touched the empty space in front of him, space that wasn't actually as empty as it appeared. The wards rippled like water at his touch, starting small and expanding as far and wide as she could see. A flash of blinding light was all Hermione registered before the wards folded in to reveal what had been hidden from sight for years. The greenhouse wasn't at all what Hermione had expected. Instead of grand and large, it was small and gothic in appearance. The decrepit glass panes didn't look strong enough to resist anything, much less the weight of the thick vines that covered the structure. Draco used his wand to cut a path through the high grass to the door, which pulsed gold, and only stopped when he took off one glove and placed his bare hand on the distressed wood. The old magic's admission came in the form of a gust of wind. Hermione breathed in the remnants, momentarily dazed from the hum of magic in the air. Draco glanced over his shoulder as the double doors opened. "'Are you going to stand there all night?' Shaking it off, Hermione huffed and followed him in, but halted just inside the doorway. Draco waved his wand to turn every light on as the doors magically closed. Not that she noticed, too busy taking it all in. Devoid of people, just them, but full of life. Much larger than hers on the inside. The vines she quickly learned weren't just on the outer part of the structure. They had climbed out of the earth and grew up the walls to the glass ceiling. The warmth was comforting, but the air smelled old, stale and damp. It felt like a piece of earth lost to time itself. Dust told the story of neglect, and Hermione listened, disturbed nothing while she absorbed everything. She slowly walked around, giving the space the respect it deserved. Time passed, and she gave it no thought. Hermione's eyes were everywhere as she inspected every plant, hanging and potted. 
she touched the trunk of each old tree and ran her fingers along the leaves of the bushes. Dim light gave it a haunted feel that would stay with her long after she left. Protected by magic, everything thrived when all else would have perished. Beautiful in the way old, sacred things usually were. Comments? Hermione startled at the voice behind her, turning to Draco, who, in that moment, was trying to read her like a manual. Not for the first time, she stared back, more and more appreciative of the aesthetics provided by the vision of him, clad in stark black amongst a sea of greenery. Hermione allowed her eyes to take another turn about the room before returning to the man still watching her. It's beautiful. One beat passed. Two. Ten. Twenty. Take what you need. Draco excused himself with a nod. Retrieving her gloves, she moved to take a closer look at the pots on the tables. Some names she knew well. Others were rarities she had only been able to find through Blaze and Daphne, albeit already dried and processed. And a few Hermione didn't recognize at all. She opened her beaded bag and picked up one pot. I've heard of this. Brugmansia arborea. Angel's trumpet. Medicinal but extinct in the wild. Everything here is either extremely rare or extinct. Draco approached with one of the plants needed and squinted at the name scrawled on the side of the pot in her hand. He wasn't wearing his glasses, Hermione noted with amusement, as he deposited his plant into her bag. Then he did the same with the angel's trumpet, even though she hadn't asked. If Hermione had to guess, she would estimate that there were well over sixty different species of plants in the greenhouse. Not counting the dozens of hanging plants, or the six trees— one of which she identified as a very old olive tree. My mother labeled everything. She kept up the family's book of seeds. Book of seeds? Hermione filed that away to ask about later as she began her hunt for the next plant on her list, finding it quickly on another table. I wonder why your family kept everything here instead of putting it back in nature? Draco scoffed. So humans can destroy them once and for all? Your lack in faith in humanity is completely justified. Perhaps. Hermione shrugged, watching him survey the area. I think that, as a whole, humans are more than the sum of their parts. Yes, greed is the currency of the world. Yes, the actions of the few affect the many. But that doesn't define everyone. There are people out there who care. Like you. Draco turned to her. Even though it was a question, it didn't sound like one. Yes. Her voice was quiet, barely louder than a whisper. But there are more people like me who would love to reintroduce these plants back into nature. Whether or not you trust them, there are places that would rehabilitate or use the seeds to resurrect the species. In the magical world? And Muggle as well. Neville works with conservationalists regarding plants that are going extinct, rehoming them and even collecting their seeds to replant in places untouched by people. I think he would be interested in what's in here, but that's up to you, and not a decision for tonight. Let's find the Sylphium. It's the last one. That was an easy enough task, thanks to Narcissa's labels. Draco picked it up, and Hermione made quick work of putting it into her bag for transport before closing it once completed. Ready? Yes. He looked around one last time, and the sight struck her. He likely hadn't been here since childhood. I'm ready. Holding the door open for Hermione as she stepped outside into the fresh air, waiting just outside of the ward's boundary with her wand lit. Once the protections were reset, the greenhouse vanished from sight, and she expected Draco to apparate them back to her home. But he didn't. I have to go check on something. There was a glint of steel resolved in his gray eyes. 
You are more than welcome to go back. It won't take long. I'll go with you. It was only after they left that Hermione realized she never once asked about their destination, but she found out soon enough. Fire. Admittedly, Draco wasn't a fan of it. He had a better reason than most to detest it, just as she paid close attention to the moon cycles and hated snakes. Yet there they were, standing outside the wrought-iron gates of Malfoy Manor, consumed by flames licking against the faint shimmer of the stasis wards. The fires could neither spread nor diminish. It reminded her of a snow globe, only twisted with ash and flames. Everyone knew about the never-ending fire, but never once had Hermione felt compelled to visit. When Hermione first heard about it, she considered it a fitting end to a home that haunted her thoughts when she allowed it to. But now... Now she wasn't sure how she felt. There was something about fire that both repelled and drew people in. So when Draco unconsciously reached for the wards, Hermione grabbed his wrist and brought it back to the space between them. Unless you want to trigger the entire DMLE to rush here, you shouldn't. His glare was sharp. I happen to be an employee. True, but you have no business or reason to be here tonight. They'll suspect you of something. I am always suspected of something or other. Hermione shifted under the weight of his uncomfortable truth. Why did you come here with me? He glanced at his burning past. I didn't know where we were going. Would you have made the same decision had you known? Does it matter? The question lingered. I suppose it doesn't. I don't have a lot of good memories associated with this place, Hermione admitted quietly. Draco was silent for a few long moments. I used to. This was once his home, his legacy, where he had been born, where he grew up, and now he was forced to watch it burn. His family history was tainted by the same thing that polluted parts of everyone's lives. Darkness, war, death, reality. Hermione wondered if he was also tainted by the inherited guilt. While she stared boldly at the burning manor and took in the roar of flames, Draco seemed to only sneak quick glances before looking away. This was hard for him, but here he was. The war between nostalgia and indifference played out on his face, something simultaneously vulnerable and hardened. Hermione's empathy rose like a flickering flame. Take as long as you need. But Draco stepped back and walked on, Hermione quickly fell into step beside him on the stone path that was nearly overrun by wild grass. No way of telling who reached first, but their hands threaded together without a word. While his focus remained ahead, hers drifted to the burning structure they circumvented with no named destination in sight. The ward stopped the spread, but it didn't stop the sound, and Hermione was amazed by how loud the fire was and the stillness surrounding them. It crackled and whistled and popped, there seemed to be a guttural roar, almost as if every part of the manor was exploding over and over again. It was disturbing and haunting because everything inside, while destroyed, was also frozen. In time, in space, in memory. Their destination became clear as they moved down the path. The Rose Garden. At first sight, with the dim, floating lights and the reflection from the fire, the area gave off an ominous glow. The Malfoy Gardens looked less like a place where life had once thrived, and more like a graveyard. When they stood in front of the gate, looking up at the iron beams covered in roses that had taken over, Hermione's perspective shifted. No, it wasn't death. Only life. So much of it. It was just chaotic, covered with unhindered growth and overrun with weeds. 
One might call it a lost cause, but Hermione, who never believed in such a thing, found it poetic. What was once neat and tamed was now wild and free. Terrifying, but no less beautiful. When Draco asked if she wanted to go in, Hermione accepted the offer, not at all surprised that he remained outside, casting a few spells around the garden's edge. She figured he was checking to see if anyone had been in the area recently, but couldn't be certain. It was hard to make out his mumbled words. Hermione left him to it, looking around. The more she saw on her walk around, the less she wanted to disturb the peace the plants found in the backdrop of chaos. On her way out, a rosebush caught her eye, and before Hermione could talk herself out of it, she took a cutting. It wasn't something she normally did, but she'd watched Neville do it once. With no books, the tasks proved more difficult than expected. The bush was stubborn, but in the end, Hermione tucked a healthy stem into her bag and made plans to try something new, something different. There was an odd thrill surging through her, an excitement that carried her back to Draco's side where he remained, occasionally looking towards the flames with his hands behind his back and a contemplative set to his shoulders. "'Do you know why it still burns?' "'I'd imagine the fiend fire reacting with the dark object my father kept. It's only a hypothesis.' But they both knew it seemed likely. The Wizengamot promised my mother they would put the flames out when they created this ward. Interesting to know, but the unfulfilled promise wasn't a shock. Putting the fire out didn't matter to people like Tiberius in the grand scheme of things. Only those who had something left in the rubble cared. Hermione listened to the dull groan of fire and watched the flames lick the top of the dome, curious about what would happen should it all be allowed to burn naturally. Not that she wanted to be around when that theory was tested, but as it was right now, there was something about the flames that compelled her to watch, compelled her to speak. It is beautiful in a way. You have a fucked-up definition of the word, Draco snorted incredulously. You can find beauty in everything, but all I see is my legacy in history, my present, my future trapped in a never-ending inferno. There's an irony that's probably deserved, but hard to forget. She wasn't blind, of course not, but this wasn't her identity trapped in flames. It gave her a different point of view. My idealism doesn't allow me to only see destruction. I see energy, life, the opportunity for rebirth. It reminds me of a phoenix rising from the ashes. I'm no phoenix, Draco stepped forward. I wasn't born in the ashes. My legacy will burn until that's the only thing left. Let it burn. Hermione watched the reflection of the fire in his eyes. You don't need a legacy to justify your existence or your worth. You don't need history to have a future. Easy for you to say. Perhaps it is. She didn't need to be any closer to feel the power of the ward's thrum. I don't carry the same weight you do. I don't have the same background and sense of duty. She wondered if he still did. You believe ashes, to anything except the phoenix, equate death the end. But ash is the key to the process of fertilizing the earth to begin again. Now's your chance to grow something all your own. Something to pass on to Scorpius. Hermione felt the pressure of his gaze and turned to meet it. Neither spoke. Draco's eyes said something, though she didn't understand this particular translation of his language. And Hermione said what she needed to with a wary hand that went to reach for him in the darkness. But she hesitated, falling just short of the tips of his fingers as he returned them to his back in a move that made her wonder why he stood like that. It was a toss between not wanting to touch anything and making certain he didn't touch something. 
Draco didn't give her the chance to contemplate. He stepped forward to approach the edges of the wards. Hermione didn't know how long she quietly watched him stare down the roaring fire, never moving except to shift his weight. When he got his fill of the sight, when he came to whatever conclusion that allowed him to turn his back to the flames, they left. The process of setting the plants under protective charms was quicker than expected. Tomorrow she would need Neville to help her with the rosebush cutting. While she set up an appointment during his free time via the Magi scheduler, Draco went to her brewing room to check the quality of the rest of the ingredients for the experimental potion. By the time he joined her in the kitchen, Hermione was sitting on the bar stool sipping Ogden's. Draco's eyebrow lifted. Nightcap? It's been a week, don't you think? His lack of response was as good as an agreement. She gestured to the second empty glass and bottle. You're more than welcome to join me. According to some saying, drinking with someone else was better than drinking alone, but drinking with Draco Malfoy was something else entirely. It wasn't the first time, but unlike before, they were drinking the same thing, and it was hard to tell how alcohol affected him. Ron got obnoxiously friendly. Pansy grew maudlin. Harry, when asked anything, regardless of the question, would smile brightly. Ginny did whatever she felt compelled to do, and Daphne laughed too loud. There were other tells with any one of her friends, but not Draco. His default expression never changed, not even after two hours and four drinks. Meanwhile, Hermione knew he could tell she was getting pissed. Draco even cocked his brow when she stubbornly poured herself a third glass, because no one could tell her what to do. She hadn't eaten since lunch, and the baked bread and butter she'd consumed upon realizing it did little to soak up the fire whiskey in her belly. There was a different level of inebriation with wine than liquor. The former left her quiet and pleased with everything, but the latter crept up at the most random times and made her chatty, embarrassingly so, and warm enough to always want to be outdoors, which is where they found themselves, on a large blanket in the middle of the pasture with her drinks. The world blurred at the edges. It was pleasant, not too cool or too warm, and a nice breeze balanced everything. The quarter moon was dim, and the darkness felt rich. The stars were visible and bright. Hermione took in the expanse of the sky while tracing Ursa Major. To her horror, she blurted out the first thing on her mind. I haven't looked at the sky in months. I don't care for it, really, except to figure out where Scorpius's growing interest. Perhaps I could. Never mind. But Hermione hadn't had enough fire whiskey for his intent to escape her notice. He would like it if you joined us, I think. He probably would. Draco was silent for the span of a heartbeat. Would you? Only then did Hermione detect the slur of his words, confirming she wasn't the only one whose honesty intensified after a few drinks. Self-consciousness bled away, leaving her pliant and relaxed. I wouldn't mind. Perhaps we could actually use the telescope in your garden. It was Astoria's. His statement was the equivalent of being shoved into a freezing lake, Neither of us were interested, but she wanted Scorpius to know about the stars, and she never got the chance to show him. But it seemed it happened anyway. Because of her. Oh, Hermione stumbled over her next words. I, I didn't... I wouldn't expect you to know. He bent his knees and sipped his drink. But I don't want to talk about it tonight. I'd rather enjoy this in peace. I find it shocking that you can find peace here. Or anywhere. Agreed, since you refused to shut up. Draco cut his eyes to her, but there was a small smirk playing at the corner of his lips. It had no effect on her whatsoever. 
None at all. Hermione glanced off as a mouthful of Ogden's burned away the lie. It's not horrible out here. His confession slipped out with fluid ease. Looking at him in pure shock, she caught another sign of his intoxication. The bit of a flush on his face was highlighted by the moon. Ah, so you are pissed. No. No way you would admit any of that if you weren't. Hermione smothered a laugh. It's fine. Your secret is safe. She lifted her head to the sky again, crossing her legs when she put the drink down and leaning back on her hands. I don't see how you don't like watching the sky. It puts everything into perspective. At least for me. It's like some moments everything feels so overwhelming until I look up and realize I'm just myself. I'm just one person in this endless expanse, and I can only do and be so much. Yet you try to do everything. That's my nature. Your nature is a contradiction. Draco's voice rumbled in the quiet. They were close enough for their arms to brush against each other. In one breath, you say you can only do so much, but in the next, you try to do everything. Aren't we all contradictions? Hermione knew all too well that Draco was most certainly one in his own right. Lately, I've realized it's an element of human nature. No matter how enlightened we think we are, there's always a battle between who we are and who we think we're supposed to be. The battle is the root of the dichotomy in our behavior. Who are you supposed to be? Unapologetically myself at all times, flaws and all. Draco continued drinking. Question for you. Hermione's body felt both heavier and lighter as she leaned against him. If everything were different, what would you do? Everything is as it is, so I cannot answer. Dare to dream. Hermione cast a glance at the man who had the glass to his lips while looking beyond. He had the foresight to bring the bottle, which floated next to him as if sitting on an invisible table. Who would you be without the war and your life after it? My father. His honesty rocked her. I'll amend that. She didn't dare ask about Narcissa. Perhaps in any other universe, the situation with his mother would be the same. If circumstances were different with the Ministry and the Death Eaters, what would you do? Draco was quiet for so long, she thought he might not answer at all. But he did. Ideally something with potions. You? If your seizure had never happened, who would you be? Even though she'd asked the question first, Hermione had no answer when it was turned around on her. Not at first, at least. It came to her in waves. In the ministry, most likely. Still fighting. She would be very tired. Hermione didn't know how to walk away from a fight. She had to be carried out. For a long time, I didn't know who I was going to be after. All that. And it's hard to think about who I've become without it. I, I don't think I'd be here. With you, Hermione finished in her head. Regrets? Honestly? She chuckled at her own question. Of course he wanted honesty. Hermione laid on her back, feeling flush. A few, but not enough to stop me from taking a moment to admire the view. A lazy smile curled her lips as the world swam. Are you going to Pansy's birthday garden party? By force. Draco drawled, and while she couldn't see him clearly, she could hear his eyes roll. Hermione smirked. What did she have to threaten for you to get into Regency clothes? Her presence. It might have been the Ogdens, the ambiance, or the fact that it was his same response to Harry's threat, but she laughed out loud. The best part was when she craned her neck. She caught the profile of one of his very rare smiles. 
staring boldly. The same thoughts from before clouded her mind. Oh, shite. Ah, so you are capable. Of what, exactly? Smiling. It vanished like the sun behind clouds, and his face went as dark as the sky before a storm. Draco glanced down at her. Do you think of me smiling often, Granger? No. The half-truth was poorly dressed as a lie. I do remember you having more of a sense of humor back— His expression morphed into one of gritty patience, ready to cut her comment into bits. But she could see the mistake before she made it, and she stopped herself before uttering the wrong words. Back before death and life— before war and threats, before the arrival of something that meant enough to break him if he lost it. He hadn't had many opportunities to smile over the years. Stomach churning, Hermione looked back to the sky, pushing away her thoughts. She barely managed not to jolt when Draco finished his drink and laid down next to her. His eyes were fixed on the sky with an almost bored expression, until he reached out and traced a constellation she didn't catch. "'What do you want to talk about?' Nothing. Draco lowered his hand. But you're insistent on conversation tonight. Our silences aren't always this strange, Hermione confessed, feeling utterly ridiculous by how jittery she felt. No more fire whiskey. I can imagine them with Theo, but right now, with you, I want to fill it with something. Anything not to think about his presence at her side, his warmth. Is that an intoxicated confession? His question sounded more uncertain than anything else he'd said so far. Hermione turned towards him, resting on her side. Draco watched every move. No, it's not. She pushed her hair off her shoulders, feeling hot. That would be something like, I don't care for my mother's cooking, or I don't hate flying, just heights. She'd been on the back of a dragon, a thestral, and a hippogriff, admittedly under distress, but also without issue. "'What's the difference between the two? Draco rested his hands behind his head, appearing relaxed, but his knees were still raised. His casual attire and posture combined made quite the visual. It's impossible to achieve one without the other. "'That's not entirely true,' Hermione moved her glass away to avoid knocking it over. "'In order to fly, you have to give up the ground you're standing on, and I have—' "'Issues?' The accusation carried heat. "'Control issues.' he amended in a voice near a whisper. Hermione couldn't look away. Draco wasn't touching her, but she felt every bit of him. The air was charged as energy crackled around them. Hermione focused on the gray of his eyes, quietly comparing them to every stone she could think of. Pale, yet deep, light tinged with darkness. Endless. There was a familiar hammering in her chest she associated with moments like this, one degree between close and too close, yet somehow not close enough. You would know about those issues. She tried to sound playful, but her voice was much too low. I would. You can't control everything, Draco. The breeze played with his hair, sweeping it out of place. Brushing it back would be an easy fix, but Hermione didn't trust her coordination, or herself. You can try, but there are always cracks. Something is bound to slip through. He made a low noise, but she couldn't tell what it meant. Draco's face was locked down, closed up tight. With a bit of flush staining his usually pale skin, he was nothing short of stunning. Dazed and heady from the Ogdens, Hermione quietly wondered what was behind his expression. Unconsciously, she searched his face for a fissure to gain access to his thoughts, finding only one. 
closer made her calculate if the dimension was right, too. Draco brought a hand up to her neck, ghosting a kiss across her lips before lying back. There, and gone before she knew it. I should— Hermione dipped her head for her own sample, a quick taste of him. The following moment hung, extended, and remained suspended in animation. Hand still on her neck, Draco's eyes stopped searching and dropped to her lips. Her hand on his ribs allowed her to feel the expansion of his chest on an inhale. No words, no analysis. The only truth and energy was exchanged in the shake of his exhale. A firm, slow hand wandered from her neck down the curve of her back and resting on the bare skin where her shirt had ridden up. It was Hermione's turn to exhale raggedly. Connection wasn't only found in touch, but in each of their senses, too. Combined with trust and freedom, it was layered in moments like this. Permission to create their own was granted with an imperceptible nod. Heady. Delicious. Draco's kisses were small and biting. Nothing beyond a taste here and there. The promise of more left her frustrated and impatient, and she chased his mouth each time he pulled away. And then, finally, he started kissing her properly, deeply, unconsciously dragging contented groans from her chest. The first one to escape him liquefied the butterflies on her stomach and replaced them with sparks of pure heat. The world both expanded and contracted to that very moment as they detailed the memory of touch, navigated sensation, and rediscovered the feel of each other. Their pace was unbearably intimate, fevered. Pain from bitten lips and clacked teeth, heat and want and everything in between. It was all assuaged by large hands holding her steady, slowing her, licking into her mouth and pulling back before she could reciprocate. With their foreheads pressed together and eyes shut, the sound of their heavy breaths filled her ears as they gave into the demand for oxygen. But given the alcohol and pent-up emotions spilling freely, it wasn't long before they were back to feeding each other's wants. It was natural, intuitive, easy. Simple to translate, understand, and communicate, they both spoke the language of want fluently. Beat for beat, breath for breath. The exhilaration of each caress reduced her restraint to ash. Turnabout was fair play, and Hermione gave in to the memory of his hands on her skin as she untucked his shirt from his trousers and touched him. The hard muscles of his stomach bunched under the palm of her hand, and Hermione almost laughed. She probably would have had Draco's lips not deterred from hers to her chin, and then down the column of her throat as she tilted her head back and saw nothing but stars. Oh, gods! Every nerve shrieked in alarm, but she allowed his push and pull until she was flat on her back, with the stars on display behind the image of a disheveled Draco hovering over her. The need for space presented itself in the form of one delicious graze of his hips between her open thighs a move that left them sucking in sharp breaths in unison. Heart pounding and senses buzzing, the mere promise and the evidence of want left her breathless. But he kept their hips apart in a show of necessary patience. Neither the rush of hazy kisses nor insistent touches compared to the clarity of the way he looked at her, open and honest. And as he hovered, watching, Hermione took a chance and invaded the small space between them, running purposeful hands down the length of his chest, letting her gaze make the journey across his face. She finally settled back on his eyes as tentative fingers came to rest on his belt in a dangerously impulsive question. Do you?
want me. A hand stopped hers. The silent sting of a rejection had the same effect as throwing ice water on a candle. Everything just died. A series of motions brought Draco back to rest next to her, but she couldn't hear him over the sound of reality crashing down around her. Doubt, worry, insecurity. Hermione was traversing a slippery slope that left her sprawled at the bottom and feeling stupid for being so rash and presumptuous. Scrubbing a hand over her face multiple times, she tried and failed to clear her thoughts. Did, did I do something wrong? She was mortified by the question, but had to ask. She refused to assume. I just thought, no. Unable to find words that wouldn't come out slurred, Draco turned her head and kissed her deeply, giving her time to relax in the act, to soothe the stab of her fears. I want this. Trust me. His lips were still touching hers when his murmured words made her shiver. But not like this. Too much fire whiskey, an empty pasture, a starry night. The perfect storm of choices they couldn't take back. It was a testament to his patience, respect, and commitment to give her time. You're right. The truth did little to ease her disappointment. Her tone made Draco run a hand through his hair in visceral frustration. But Hermione pulled herself together enough to stay his hand and lace it with hers. Let's just watch the sky, she whispered. It really was lovely out. The stars were endless, a vast display of wonder and intrigue. Hermione blinked, trying to take it in with her head resting in the crook of Draco's extended arm. The Ogdens crept up on them one last time, and her vision swam. She yawned twice while focusing on his breathing, relaxing further into... And then there was nothing. August 7th, 2011 When Hermione next opened her eyes, dawn was making its approach as light painted the horizon. The sky was empty, stars tucked away in the wake of a new day. She should have been cold, but she wasn't. Warmth kept the chill at bay. Still groggy, it took her a minute to register her surroundings. The arms around her, the legs twined in hers, the steady rise and fall of the chest beneath her cheek. Chancing a glance, she took her time committing the sight to memory. Draco was sleeping soundly next to her, carefree, peaceful, everything he wasn't during waking hours. All Hermione could do was stare, her hand still on his chest. Heat rushed to her face when the memory of last night surfaced. She wasn't standing on the precipice between falling and flying. No, she was embedded in the tender stillness of something in between. Quiet and reflective, the depth of the moment slowly revealed itself to her. Less like a shock, in light of everything that had happened recently. It felt as natural as the slow progression of the sun as it climbed over the horizon. Slowly, then all at once. They slipped briskly into an intimacy from which they never recovered. F. Scott Fitzgerald Chapter 26 Human Nature August 10th, 2011 Chaos wasn't just a theory. It was the inevitable result of the unexpected. A little disorder wasn't negative, but like anything else, it had its time and place. If life had taught Hermione one lesson— it was that chaos often gave birth to a new direction. Typically thriving on the precarious balance between organized chaos, comfort, and absolute order, she'd been stuck in the trenches of mayhem, in a constant state of flux all week, and it was hard to see anything else. 
pouring all of her energy into several different cups. She currently had little to spare. Developing Narcissa's new care plan, rare plant cultivation lessons with Neville, scheduled translation work with Draco, maintaining her delicate daily routine with Scorpius, coordinating Saxe and Keating. Their dynamic had been altered by Andromeda's presence, but it actually made Hermione's life easier because she took over preparing Narcissa's meals. A small climb on the mountain before her. Sleep had been cut short in favor of garden maintenance, planting, and seeding, and harvesting to prevent the fruit from overripening. Progress on the potion, and the question of Draco's participation hanging over her head, took hold of her thoughts periodically throughout the day. Research and transcontinental flu calls with Charles Smith occurred between check-ins with Narcissa, lunch and sign language lessons. Her evenings were split between scheduled time with law interpretation, thinking about her inevitable talk with Kingsley, given the chaos at the ministry in the wake of the article, reviewing Narcissa's readings, and sorting notes from Saxe and Keating. Observation would have been easier had Narcissa been speaking in more than monosyllables, at least to her. Still, Hermione built her plan, diving deep late that afternoon and only resurfacing when the thirty-page package was complete and checked off her to-do list. Only then did she truly realize what havoc her sharp spiral of chaos had wreaked on her office. Oh. Before Hermione could clear the parchment and teacups, wave away the ink stains from her hands, and dust the crumbles of crisp off her shirt, out stepped a surprise from the flu. Draco and Scorpius. Both were dressed comfortably, Scorpius for bed and Draco in his usual joggers and shirt. Black, of course. Um... The little boy ignored the mess and made a beeline to her, while his father looked around slowly, not bothering to hide his judgment. Or was it concern? Hard to tell. The bag in Draco's hand sparked her curiosity, but her brain was too exhausted for it to catch fire. Hi there. Instead of scowling, when Draco's frown became more pronounced at the state of her desk, Hermione chose to focus on Scorpius, opening her arms for a hug after he waved with a shy, infectious smile that spread to her quickly. She was happy to see him. A little peace in the chaos. This is quite the welcome surprise. Running an absent hand over his fringe, Hermione placed a hand on his back that seemed to still him. Draco's eyes raked over everything in an attempt to find a clearing. When he gave up and placed the bag in the only semi-clear spot in the room, the chair. Arms now behind his back, he completed a visual sweep of her. Hermione almost cringed. Wild hair, tired eyes, ink-stained hands, oversized wrinkled shirt marred by a stain she could have cleaned with magic but hadn't bothered. She likely looked as chaotic as her surroundings. But like the proud person she was, Hermione straightened her back, ignoring the tightness in it from the amount of time she'd spent in that position. To what do I owe the pleasure of the visit, Draco? You forgot about dinner. Draco extracted his wand from his pocket pointing it at the pile of discarded parchment circling the rubbish bin. She was a terrible shot. I could send over Zippy in the morning. A silent spell cleared her misses and left her bin full to the brim. Might give him something to do. He often asks for more tasks. Not surprising. No thanks. Hermione didn't like the idea of a house elf cleaning her home, no matter how handsomely paid. As for our dinner, it's on Wednesday. Today is Wednesday. She opened her mouth to debate when she caught Scorpius's expectant eyes. Is it? They both nodded, but Draco tilted his head as if she'd asked a moronic question. Shite. Hermione searched for her magic scheduler, finding it only after rifling through several piles of scrap parchments, documents, and books, and nearly spilling a full inkwell. 
A high stack of papers began to teeter, but Draco's quick hand stabilized it. He scanned her messy desk again, and Scorpius did as well. The latter squinted at both the open bag of crisps and the oddly shaped ink stain on the discarded piece of parchment. She could feel the five-year-old's judgment. Sweeping the offending items into a drawer, she made a mental note to clean it out later. She pointedly ignored the way Draco coughed and looked away to suppress his amusement. He also ignored her following glare. When she turned to Scorpius, he looked just happy to be in her presence. Too cute for a glare, her smile grew slowly, creeping in a way to a full grin. It's a bit messy here, isn't it? I help clean. Scorpius signed each word slowly, and when he finished, she felt a swell of pride. You're such a great helper, but this is a mess I'll clean. Thank you for offering. His ears turned pink. Finally, Hermione scanned the magic scheduler. Today's date pulsed red, standing out against black and white page. Wednesday. Oh. She offered the smaller Malfoy an embarrassed smile, uselessly patting her wild hair and rubbing the back of her sore neck. Hermione frowned at her watch. What could she make on such short notice? As if answering her unspoken question, both father and son exchanged a similar look that would have been funny had she not been scrambling for meal ideas. I think I have enough to quickly make— That won't be necessary. Draco gave his son a nod, a cue that brought the little boy from her side to his. Scorpius picked up the bag, proudly displaying it with a dimpling smile as though it were a grand prize. Is it? Dinner. The word was firm, but Draco's tone was not. You should clean up. We'll be in the conservatory. With that, Draco and the bag-wielding Scorpius left the room. His hand awkwardly rested on top of his son's head in an affectionate gesture as he let the little boy lead the way. The sight made her smile into her fist. When they were gone, she stood, stretching her sore muscles, turning her neck from side to side, and listening to the stiff cracks. After rubbing her shoulders, Hermione picked up her wand and did as instructed, apparating to her room for a quick shower. Just shy of too hot, it left her body invigorated and her brain the opposite. When Hermione returned to the kitchen, in lounge clothes and wet hair, Draco was opening and closing drawers in search of something he found just as she leaned against the side of the island. Cutlery. Scorpius returned from the conservatory, hand already extended for the forks that Draco offered. Helping, as he was wont to do. Careful, Hermione called after the little boy's retreating form, earning her a glance and a nod over his shoulder. Scorpius returned not a minute later, walking past them and up the stairs, likely to wash his hands without anyone asking him to. It was a habit. She summoned two wine glasses and a third cup for Scorpius, before turning her attention to the man eyeing her wine chiller. Thank you for this. She felt irrationally awkward for doing something as simple as vocalizing her appreciation. You didn't have to. It was already scheduled, I know, but I can— Handle it yourself. Draco abandoned his task and approached her. I'm aware. It was easy to feel trapped with him overwhelming the space between them. Easy to feel judged when his eyes ventured from the top of her head to the slippers on her feet, but she felt neither. Just on edge in the way that made her stare at different focal points to avoid his gaze. Then lower, down his arm to the hand at his side. The... she yawned suddenly. Tired? The bass in his voice was a little too resonant for her. A bit too private. Yes. She struggled to shake off its effect even as she lifted her eyes to meet his. I'm not operating at optimum levels right now. Hence your lack of argument. Hermione rolled her eyes, braced her hands on the island, and pulled herself up to sit, to give herself a modicum of space. 
It put them at eye level with each other. A horrible idea. I've been too busy to argue about everything. She played with the ends of her wet hair. With your mother at Andromeda's and barely speaking to me, I've had to change my approach. The plant cultivation... Isn't Longbottom assisting? He... he is. But ultimately it's my work. Hermione folded her arms, internally scowling at the clumsiness in her voice when he took a step forward. She was being ridiculous. As is my own gardening and brewing the potion, I've agreed to help. Another step. Another excuse. Several. The effort to keep her tone neutral was taxing. During your argument with, I also gave you my word. The way Draco stressed the single word gave her pause. His expression was a warning. He wasn't perfect. Hermione didn't have to work hard to point out his flaws. They stood out. But when he faltered, he made up for it with the competence he prided himself on having. Draco hardly ever spoke without meaning it, and she caught herself dismissing his words. Again. Hermione treaded carefully. I understand, but I know you're busy. Scorpius, I am, and yes, I have other responsibilities, as do you. But I don't think it's wise to shift him too abruptly, or without determining which course of action is most beneficial for him. That was logical. The only addition I'm making to his current schedule is in the introduction of sessions next week. Sessions? Grief counseling. Draco watched her for any reaction. I've been researching. Daphne suggested a healer who works with children a while ago, but he needed the push to take the first step. I think that's a good idea. Not that it was any of her business, which was what Hermione would have said, but Draco took one last step, a calculated one between her slightly parted legs. She lifted her chin, eyes on him, trying to determine his next move. They hadn't been this close since the night in the pasture, the same one that ended with tea in the conservatory the next morning. The rising sun had served as a backdrop to their parting kiss. It had been savory, nothing more than a quick snog interrupted by time knowing Scorpius would wake soon. Ever since, she'd been swept away, drowning in waves of chaos, too busy for anything. Even when alone, Hermione hadn't had the capacity to think beyond the task at hand. But each night, before sleep claimed her, she allowed herself a moment to think of those little moments, to think of him, the memory of stars and sun, warmth and cool. Chaos lingered in the peaceful afterglow. Scorpius will be down soon. The reminder didn't hurry him. His every move was decisive and deliberate. Careful hands settled on Hermione's hips as he lowered his head to hers. The tip of his nose brushed against her cheek. When Draco's lips grazed hers, she inhaled sharply, feeling a spark of something familiar. He pulled back imperceptibly to catch her eye, whether for permission or a request she didn't know, nor did she have a chance to find out. The ringing phone broke the trance. Draco stepped back, but not before dropping a perfunctory kiss on her cheek, which made Hermione mutter excuses as she hopped off the island to answer the call. It could only be one of two people— that knowledge did nothing to ease the dread nodding in her stomach. Scorpius came downstairs and she directed him to Draco before answering her phone. Hello? Her father's voice didn't calm her nerves. They'd spoken intermittently since her fight with her mother. He kept her up to date with their travel plans, but each conversation was laden with unspoken words. He was frustrated by the situation, she could tell, but Hermione never pressed him to express it. She didn't envy his position. Everything okay? "'Yes, I was just calling to ask you over for dinner. Your normal week.' 
I would, but Mum is stubborn. He exhaled sharply into the receiver. At this point, I'm not sure if she's mad at you or herself, but I'm tired of this. Dad, the chair in the art room misses you, and, and so do I. I momentarily overcome. Hermione clutched the receiver and wrapped an arm around her middle. I'd like to see you, too. We can listen to Miles Davis, or... She scrambled to think of another artist he liked. Voice too broken for her liking. She couldn't help it. Um, excellent choice. I haven't listened to Kind of Blue in a while. I'd love to listen to it with you. She wouldn't miss out on her chance, no matter their difference in taste. I'd love that. When the conversation ended, Hermione turned to the now-empty space. Thankful for the moment alone, she used every bit of it to pull herself together, calm her jitters and quell her anxieties before joining her guests, who were waiting patiently. Dinner was nice and cozy, even if the seating arrangement was odd. Scorpius chose his normal spot between them, leaving everyone crowded around one side of the table. He was happy, which was the only thing that mattered. Draco didn't appear perturbed at all, quiet outside of looks over his son's head and sparse conversation. Scorpius was the center of attention as he slowly signed the answers to each practice question Hermione asked him between bites, smiling in the lulls and looking content to simply be. With them, the feeling wasn't foreign to her. Their presence filled with what would have been a solitary night. A relief, really, but her mood was overlaid by the chaos of the last few days and the new sense of foreboding dressed as dinner with her parents. But Hermione tried not to think about it, allowing herself an evening of well-deserved rest, peace, and good food. Dinner consisted of takeaway from some place posh, though she saw no names for confirmation. Summer corn and vegetable chowder, cheese toasties, and salad for Scorpius, but only if he didn't like the soup. The lack of meat didn't go unnoticed by Hermione. Support. Perhaps not something Draco would do every day, but tonight the thought counted as Scorpius devoured the soup and half of his crustless toasty, more than she'd seen him eat regularly in the previous months. When finished, he abandoned the table, distracted by the plants. Once the plates were cleared and cleaned, and the containers back in the bag, they watched him visit with each plant at his height from in front of the climbing roses. The same comfortable silence never relinquished its hold, but it came to a natural end. "'You're quiet.' Draco's voice jarred her thoughts and reminded her of where they stood, side by side, incidentally touching as she slightly leaned on him. Preoccupied. Hermione's confession was automatic. I've got a lot on my mind that needs sorting. Him. I'm having dinner with my parents next week. His stiff nod told her Draco remembered their talk about it. Maybe not the exact details, but he knew he wasn't the only one with parental problems. Their eyes met, held, and released. Before they turned to Scorpius, who was now curled in her chaise, eyes on the glass ceiling, waiting for darkness to fall. The moon was out, but the sky was still a deep blue. A perfect night to watch the stars wake. Or for them to watch him sleep. Hermione summoned a blanket and covered the resting child, who curled on his side, his little feet poking out from under it. After a fond look, she left him to his dreams and returned to Draco, who was curiously staring at the pot next to her climbing roses. I planted the rose clipping I took from the manor's garden. Neville showed me what to do. Why? I thought your mother would like a piece of her garden in a place that won't cause her more stress and sadness. Her response earned her a weighted look. It won't be easy. There's no guarantee it'll grow, but I wanted to try. Perhaps it will take root. Draco's pensive silence was conflicted. More of a question than words could ever be. When he finally spoke, his voice was barely above a whisper. How is she? 
It was a difficult question, one he clearly didn't want to ask but felt compelled to. Pained chaos of inner turmoil were etched across his face. Proof of anger's strength, but also love's endurance. Quiet, upset, hurting. Hermione stepped towards him. How are you? Surprise swept across his features before vanishing, leaving her unable to decipher if the expression was due to the question itself or that she'd asked at all. When was the last time someone asked him that? The question was loaded, despite being seemingly binary. The expected answer was yes or no, but the word itself had more definitions. There was a range of response, and for a long time, Draco didn't tell her where he landed on the spectrum. He took her hand in his, lacing them together, and the gap between them closed even more as he leaned forward. He took off the mask he wore for the world and rested his forehead against hers. Fine. A deceptive mantra Hermione had repeated to herself when she felt anything but. Instead of insisting or pushing, she closed her eyes and breathed, feeling both steady and aware of the growing chaos in all areas of her life, him included or rather the pesky seed in her field that was growing far too quickly for comfort. I'm fine, too. August 12th, 2011. Narcissa sat on a dramatist swinging garden bench before daybreak. Dressed regally in royal purple with perfect hair and makeup, she looked like the portrait come to life. Frozen in time. A bookmarked novel sat next to her lap, and her eyes were vacant, focused somewhere in the distance. Her entire being seemed turned inwards, lost in internal contemplation. It was a familiar look. She's been out there for over an hour. Andromeda was in the kitchen overseeing Teddy, who was trying his hand at making eggs. Remember to be gentle when cracking the eggs, love. Teddy's hair turned the same color as the yolk when he nodded. Completely focused on his task, he reminded Hermione of his little cousin. She smiled. Is she having an episode? Andromeda joined her at the glass door. It's hard to tell. Sax and Keating are better at deciphering. The former had yet to arrive, and the latter was completing her notes from the previous night. No, I don't think she is. Narcissa seemed to be searching for a moment's peace she likely wouldn't find. Andromeda twisted her fingers together. She's recognized me during every episode. Forced since she'd come to stay after her fight with Draco, likely triggered by stress and anxiety. It was further confirmation of her disease's steady progression. I talked to her when it happens— Tell her stories about her childhood. It keeps her calm until the tremors and muscle weakness pass. Hermione glanced at Andromeda. How are you? Still trying to cope. If you need someone to talk to, or if you have some questions, you know where I am. Saxon Keating have been educating me. I read the first edition of your care guide. She glanced at the new one in her hand. I'll read this one as well, but we haven't had much time together since June. I'll be sure to visit. Hermione mentally reminded herself to schedule ahead to avoid one of her surprise visits. "'You aren't sleeping much, are you?' Andromeda's quiet question was laced with subtle concern. "'I slept last night.' Or rather, she'd fallen asleep at some point during their conversation on the sofa, and woke in jarring confusion in her own bed. "'Good.' "'I should go. I'm meeting Draco in an hour. He took the day and cancelled Scorpius's lessons. We're going to the Leaky Cauldron beforehand.' Andromeda's surprise was as evident as the numerous questions begging to be voiced, but she ignored it all in favor of clutching the new care guide close to her chest and exiting out the door. Hermione joined Narcissa on the motionless swing, remaining silent, waiting for any indication that she was ready to speak. "'You are quite persistent, Miss Granger.' 
blue eyes still stared off into the distance of the countryside. An admirable trait when it is not directed at me. I'm still your healer, even if you're upset with me. You are here to mediate. No, I'm here to do my job and present you with the options that are geared towards your wishes. Since it is your wish to decline with grace, I'm here to make it happen to the best of my abilities. Unlike what I did with Astoria. Toneless. Her fight with Draco was still heavy on her mind. Hermione sucked in a quiet breath. Your past? Regardless of what Draco thinks, I do have regrets, and she is part of them. In hindsight, I could have been more accommodating. But had things been different, had Narcissa not been the catalyst, there might have not been a Scorpius, at least not as he was now. A fleeting ache at the idea of his absence was strangely sobering. I haven't come across any person on the face of the earth who doesn't have at least one regret. I have plenty myself. There are times I wish I had made other choices. Better ones. It's natural. Human. Narcissa placed her book beside her on the swing. She was listening even if her eyes were trained elsewhere. So Hermione kept talking. I understand that what's done is done. But I also remind myself that it's possible to grow from the experience and learn. The silence stretched for what felt like an eternity. I did what I felt was best at the time, what I have always been taught to do. Survive, rebuild, move forward, secure our legacy. I was raised not to linger, to be tenacious in securing what I want. She looked down at her hands. I did not realize I was strangling him. How could she not? The question remained lodged in her throat. Generational differences and upbringing. Trauma, death, fear, being uprooted too soon. She'd done the right thing to save her son, lied to save him and save them all, but she had been punished so brutally for it. The shock of it all, of losing Lucius the way she had, the manner, their identity. Draco was all she had left. It made sense for her to battle back toward normality, inserting control over whatever she could to make that happen. Hermione had done the same after her seizure. Control. Compartmentalization of her feelings. Not taking a step without extensive consideration. It was a defense mechanism, a practical survival tactic and trauma response. Easy to recognize, but hard to change. This was all she knew. As for Narcissa, it must have been hard to see Draco's struggles beyond her own. Past, present, and future blurred together, and the understanding of any one of them relied on having a grasp on the others. Hermione knew of Narcissa's history and the flawed, strong woman she had been raised to become. The blend of her past and present devotion to her family caused her to self-sabotage and make mistakes. She'd seen proof of her ability to grow and change, but the future was unclear, and depended entirely on her and the decisions she made from this point forward. You can't change anything. The past is right where it belongs. Don't let it dictate your present or your future. It's important that we learn from our mistakes. It's also equally important to address our current reality. And perhaps this is punishment for the way I treated her. Hermione opened her mouth to speak, but wisely shut it. Best not to go there. It truly wasn't her place. Or fate, Narcissa said quietly. I do not know which. If I've learned anything after erasing my parents' memories, I... If you're truly remorseful... You'll accept the consequences of your actions, and understand that things might not ever be the same. You own it, and do whatever you can to make amends to show those you've hurt. 
all of them. You might earn forgiveness, and you might not. You have no control over it, but you do have time to focus on your relationship. This division between you and Draco, and even Scorpius, doesn't have to fill the rest of your life. Hermione let the words sit in the space between them. How is he? It was a question she should have expected, but wasn't prepared for at all. Touching her hair to give her time to sort through what she could say, Hermione shifted on the swing. The other woman waited, even if she didn't appear to be. That you think I know what's on his mind is not improbable. Narcissa looked at her for the first time. A mother always knows. And while my son is good at presenting himself in the manner of his choosing, he does not have the same talent at hiding what he wants. At least not for me. Hermione froze. Draco is careful and persistent. Not naturally patient, of course, but it is something he has learned as he has gotten older. And yet, he has not changed much when it comes to his methods of pursuit. He learns as much as he can about the object until he has it in his possession. It has always been hard to tell him no, even when what he wants is imprudent or unsuitable. She knew not to take the bait and react to the metaphorical slap in the face. Lately, Hermione had been really good about keeping her assessments and comments to herself, but knowing better and doing better were two very different things. She inhaled. I suppose it's a good thing that you can't decide something's worth in his eyes. Oh, Narcissa's eyes narrowed. Do go on, Miss Granger. I would love to hear your thoughts on the matter. You will, but not today. This is for your review. Hermione handed her the care manual. I've made changes and geared the care plan towards your wishes. Occupational therapy should help you with your tremors and rigidity. There are details about the adjustments to my earlier suggestions on pages 20 through 24. Hermione stood, dusting invisible lint off her jeans and fixing her shirt. As for your comment, perhaps your focus should be on rebuilding your relationship with him and Scorpius. Listen to him. Consider his wishes, just as he has considered yours. You both have sacrificed so much in the name of family and legacy, but I think it's best you decide which is more important to you, Draco's happiness or your own propriety and wish fulfillment. She started to turn and leave when, Are you running from this conversation, Miss Granger? No, but this is a topic that's not up for discussion, not when there are more pressing matters for you to tend to. The look exchanged signaled the standoff before an inevitable battle. I don't presume to know Draco's inner thoughts, but I do know that even in anger he inquires after you. As you know, he's no stranger to loss, to losing people, and despite everything and the misery you've caused him, you are his mother, and he loves you. Narcissa looked stricken. Mothers, Hermione shoved her hand into her pockets, no matter how old we get, how angry or frustrated you make us, how much you push us and hurt she abruptly looked away and down. We never stop needing you, even when life takes you from us. You know how much I love him. Then tell him. Show him. Respect the decisions he makes with his life, and trust that he is capable of navigating his own without your input or demands. You raised him to be his own man. Now it's time for you to let him take control of that life. He will live long after you've passed. I... You think he's ready? No matter what Draco thinks or says, he won't ever be ready. But this is inevitable, no matter the care plan. 
I know this is hard on you, discussing your decline and making decisions, but this is equally as hard on him. He is preparing, just as you are, but in a different way. Don't waste this time you have with him in Scorpius. With your family, all of them. It's not too late to build better memories, even if yours will fade. Breakfast had been abandoned when Hermione arrived. That was not particularly worrying, but what grabbed her attention was the fact that every cabinet in the kitchen was open, and the culprit was likely the extremely flustered child sitting on the island, with his hands covering his mouth. Draco was in front of him, looking lost with a grimace reserved for whatever was in his hand. They both looked at it, then at each other. "'Everything okay?' Hermione approached the pair who were visibly relieved to see her. Draco slowly uncurled his hand and showed her the object in his palm. Scorpius lost a tooth. But he wasn't the least bit happy about it. He bit into an apple slice, Draco explained. She loomed a bit closer to the little boy who refused to uncover his mouth. He only got upset when it wouldn't fit back in place. Draco roughed a hand across his hair. Hence the accidental magic. <gasps> his first? Ever? No, Draco paused. Recently, yes. Her immediate thought was likely right. He hadn't done accidental magic since his mother died. The expression on his father's face confirmed it, and Scorpius appeared increasingly worried, eyes moving between them, growing more restless until she steadied him with a gentle hand on his shoulder. "'Losing a tooth is a good thing,' Scorpius was not convinced. "'Do you want to know why?' Blue eyes turned comically suspicious. "'It's a sign of growing up, and you are. Soon you'll be taller than me!' which wouldn't take too much effort. Watching Scorpius peek over at his dad, she grinned and conspiratorially whispered, "'Maybe you'll be as tall as him. Would you like that?' He nodded bashfully, but still kept his hand firmly in place. "'I know what happened was scary, and it hurt. Do you feel better now?' Scorpius removed one hand to sign yes. "'Good.' Absently, Hermione smoothed his brows. "'Your dad lost his teeth, just like you. So did I.' And do you know what we did with them? She had so much of his attention that he dropped his hand in his lap. We tucked them under our pillow. Why? Hermione smiled at his signed question. If you put your tooth under your pillow, the tooth fairy will come at night and takes it to add to her collection. As a thanks, she leaves you a galleon. I thought it was a sickle. She cut her eyes to Draco. Inflation. The corner of his mouth quirked. A galleon it is. Hermione returned to Scorpius. Can I see? Just to make sure you're okay. It took several moments of deliberation before he opened his mouth, revealing the missing tooth as lower incisor. Slight signs of his adult tooth were already present upon closer inspection. Hermione didn't notice Draco hovering until Scorpius's eyes wandered to him. Everything looks normal. How do you— My parents are retired dentists. At the confused look on Scorpius's face, she amended her statement. My parents are teeth healers. His little mouth formed an O as he bobbed his head. After helping him down, Hermione eyed the waiting teacup on the island and closed all the cabinets with a wave of her wand. Draco took the lead on the simple task of taking Scorpius to his room to place the tooth under his pillow. When they returned, Scorpius hugged her for a long time while Draco went to his office to grab his wand before they all left. Holding on and tilting his head up, he gave her a gap-toothed smile that made her grin widen in return just when she thought he couldn't get any more adorable. The drizzle passed and the fog was lifting above the street in front of the leaky cauldron. From their seat next to the window, 
Hermione couldn't see the sun peeking between the clouds, but she knew it was there. The city was alive. The skies were turning from white to blue, the first sign of a beautiful day. Scorpius was far more interested in watching people and buses and cars than he was in the cinnamon twist Hannah had insisted he try, but that probably had to do with his disinterest in sweet treats. Scorpius, who was a bit paranoid about eating after the apple incident, didn't like cinnamon anything. Neither did his father. So Hermione enjoyed the pastry with tea while Draco stole glances of his son enjoying his trip into the city. Hermione barely disguised her wonder at the sight of them out together, on a Friday morning, both so far off course. When it was time, Hermione wished Hannah well and led the way to the entrance to Diagon Alley. One glance back and she caught sight of Scorpius's hand securely in his father's grip. She couldn't help but notice, once again, how small he looked next to Draco. It didn't help that Scorpius was peering around, and his thoughtful curiosity manifested itself as deep furrow to his brows. That was the extent of their matching. Hermione tapped the bricks correctly and stepped aside for Scorpius to watch them roll back. And he did, mouth open. Diagon Alley was still asleep when they entered, and lamps were still on, despite the sun's presence in the sky. The shops had yet to open, but employees could be seen inside each window Hermione passed, working to start a new day. The streets were nearly empty aside from the odd person or two enjoying a morning stroll before Diagon Alley was filled with vendors and people alike. No one paid them any mind. They walked along the pavement, Hermione noticing the apothecary had finally been cleaned up. At least the windows were fixed, but the door was still boarded up. They didn't linger there, but they did stop at the window to flourish in blots, where Draco lifted Scorpius so he could see the books on display. He looked amazed. Their second pause was at Florian Fortescue's ice cream parlor, and she wondered if Draco was considering bringing him back once they opened, but she didn't ask. 93 Diagon Alley was closed for business, set to open later, but the lights were on and the top hat was extended in welcome. Scorpius was skeptical, steps slowing the closer they got to their destination. His hand slipped into hers and she was reminded of a promise she'd made to him. If you need me. It's a joke shop, Hermione said from their place at the bottom step in front of the closed doors. Scorpius craned his head up at his dad, who was looking at the building. She wondered what he was thinking. He likely hadn't been there in years. But they have a children's section. They're starting. And you get to be one of the first to see it. That got the little boy's attention, and for a second, Hermione was worried. Scorpius had a room with toys he never played with. She wondered if he would pick anything or even engage. Instead of allowing the thought to fester, she decided to let it play out. After adjusting his grip on his dad's hand and hers, Scorpius gave a quick nod and they started up the four steps. Draco let his hand go to open the door, and Hermione let him inside, where his eyes immediately took in the overwhelming sight and colors and a sight he didn't expect to see. A person. A friend. Albus. He stood next to Harry, practically hopping from foot to foot until he saw Scorpius. They both froze for the longest moment before they surged into action at the same time, meeting in the middle with a tight embrace. The excitement on both their faces was something Hermione would never forget. When they pulled back and grinned at one another, she realized they were both missing teeth. We match! Albus declared practically while Scorpius audibly laughed, opposite of his earlier mood. What a pair they made! But when he held up both hands and stepped back suddenly, Wait! I forgot! Scorpius' head tilted slightly, as did hers. Clarity broke through when Albus raised his hands and signed three words. I missed you. Auntie Fleur and Uncle Bill helped! Did I do it right? Scorpius signed the same words back. 
and then they were hugging again. Her arm brushed against Draco, who stood silently beside her witnessing the sight, and when she looked, she caught the softening of his expression. It was a moment he was part of rather than absent from. Most of the time, hello was better than goodbye, and Hermione made a note to remember that no one could say goodbye if there hadn't been a hello first. She had to wonder if Scorpius and Albus weren't the only ones saying hello after a long absence, or maybe the first time. After being swept into the maelstrom of an ecstatic Albus, one where she hugged both boys at the same time, she realized how much Scorpius had sprouted over the summer. He'd caught up in height with Al. "'Time for a tour!' George loudly declared from his place on the iron stairs that led to his office. "'Are you both ready?' "'Yes!' Albus answered for them both, still holding his best friend's hand. His excitement was contagious and had spread to the normally cautious Scorpius. But instead of walking towards George, he peered up at the bewildered Draco. "'I'm Al,' he stuck out his hand. "'You're Scorp's dad, Mr. Draco.' Hermione's eyebrow went up in the pause between that moment and when Draco squatted before both boys, accepting the offered hand. "'You can call me Mr. Malfoy.' "'Okay, Mr. Draco!' And off they went. It took biting her finger to stop herself from laughing out loud at Draco's perturbed expression. "'I didn't think it was possible.' They were both long out of earshot when he finally rose to his feet. "'What? Potter's son is almost as annoying as he is.' That time she couldn't hold back, and was still chuckling when she approached Harry, who was looking on in amusement as George gave an exaggerated introduction to a captive audience." Well, mainly Albus. Scorpius kept looking over to make sure they were still there. Keeping tabs. "'You look a bit tired, Harry,' Hermione said while watching Draco look at items by the door, hands clasped behind his back. He frowned at something she couldn't see and moved along. A full head taller than the stand, his face was clearly visible above the shelving. "'That's what happens when you open your eyes and there's a five-year-old staring at you. At your bedside, already dressed and ready and asking if we could go now.' It was three in the morning. I almost had a heart attack. Harry scowled when Hermione smothered her laughter into her fist at the mental image. Ginny is on her way with Lily and James. They both weren't moving fast enough for Al, so... That time they both laughed. Did you meet Malfoy and Scorpius here? Scorpius lost a tooth this morning, so after we calmed him down, we went to the leaky cauldron to wait. He people-watched until it was time. I don't think he's been there in a long time. Harry folded his arms. His eyes cut to Draco's back. I thought your wards were ready. They are. Then why were you at Malfoy's so early? Oh, I normally have breakfast with them, so... Harry, stop looking at me like that. Like what? Harry wagged his eyebrow. You're very involved. Of course I am. Scorpius, I mean, with Malfoy. What? You seem... closer. Pansy and Daphne hadn't told Ginny, which was why he had no idea about them courting or whatever nameless thing they were doing, so Hermione went with her next best argument. We have an alliance. I'm helping him with Scorpius, and he's helping me with his mother's potion. We're just experimenting. Not technically a lie. Harry's expression belied his disbelief, and she snuck a glance at the boys as they listened to George demonstrate their first toy. The children looked on in unmistakable fascination. I don't doubt that, but you look at him like— Harry stopped abruptly. Hermione, curious about why, followed his line of sight. Ah, Draco had just entered earshot. Of course he would notice. Then Ginny came in carrying Lily, James at her side, and Harry excused himself to greet his wife and children. 
His parting look promised her that they would resume their conversation. Hermione had no intention of doing that. It was natural to gravitate towards Draco, made sense to approach, fall into step alongside him. She almost said something silly about the shop bringing back old memories, but not all memories were good. The items he purchased, the things he did. Instead, Hermione took the tactful approach. If you want the tour with Scorpius, I'm letting him enjoy himself. It looked very much like he was, not far from Albus. Their hands were still locked and their smiles bright with George's outrageous gesture and tricks from the toys he was showing them. He paused to take charge of introducing James and Lily to Scorpius, whose ears were burning from the attention. Too focused on the boys, the eldest Potter only waved while the youngest seized up the new edition, decided he was fine, and settled next to Albus. "'See anything you like?' After realizing how it sounded and catching the slight rise of Draco's brow, Hermione amended her statement. "'I saw you pick up a few items.' "'This place has changed.' "'It has.' George, Lee, and Ron had created an empire after the war and Fred's death, one of the few businesses to thrive without the false hope of Tiberius. They expanded across the continent, and were looking to grow further into the States. Their items had changed a lot, too. Just as many joke items as there were practical safety items. Rules for who could purchase what. It was a sign of the times and the world they lived in. An uproar of childish laughter broke out, and they both looked over at the demonstration. George's skin was turning different colors like a rainbow, or Teddy's hair, as James loudly pointed out. Scorpius was frowning in confusion, appearing not to understand the purpose, until George stuck his tongue out at him. Then he smiled. "'Where are you going after this?' Hermione slipped her hands into her pockets, feeling cold. "'Why do you ask?' "'I was thinking you should take Scorpius to the bookstore, or for ice cream. He would like that.' "'Perhaps.' Draco seemed to consider it, but kept walking down the aisle with all the safety items they sold. Hermione just happened to catch his eye when he looked up at a shelf along the wall that was taller than him. "'What are you doing after this?' "'I—' the question stumped her. "'I have gardening. Percy wants to pick my brain about a law you translated for him that I flagged for review. Then I'll be preparing the binding agents.' "'Ah.' A tiny flutter of something rippled through Hermione, both surprising and irritating her. "'What did you—' "'We still haven't had that walk. Perhaps you should choose the date.' Draco looked over at the display, and her eyes followed his, catching Harry and Ginny blatantly staring at them. They both frowned while the other two exchanged looks and laughs. "'I'm assuming they don't know.' "'No, I—' "'Hermione!' It was a voice she hadn't heard in months. Lee Jordan. And he was coming down the stairs with a gregarious grin on his face. He gave her a friendly hug before shifting his attention to the taller man next to her. Lee had to crane his neck to look at Draco in the eye. "'Malfoy?' Jordan. That was the extent of their exchange. You're looking stunning as ever, Hermione. From the corner of her eye, she saw Draco's frown slip into a scowl when Lee took her hand and started to kiss it. Hermione swatted him away, like always. He'd been like this for years, perfectly harmless. I see your time away hasn't made you any less of a massive flirt. He'd been gone for months, working to expand Weasley's Wizard Wheezes in the States. I've been saving it all for you. She rolled her eyes, and they laughed. Draco excused himself, continuing down the aisle. Hermione watched him go, but she was certain their talk wasn't done. After shaking her head, she shoved Lee in the shoulder in true greeting. He rocked back with the blow, pretending it hurt when she knew it didn't. "'Still heavy-handed, I see. How have you been?' "'Busy as always. How was New York?' "'Not bad, but there's no place like home. Speaking of, I hear you're pretty tied up lately.' "'Healing and gardening is hard work.' 
Hermione glanced over his shoulder at Draco. She could have sworn he was watching. But when she peeked, he was placing an item back on a shelf. She shook her head. Lee gave her a dubious look. As is being part of the restoration. I'm just helping. I hear that if Kingsley says no, they'll be looking to you, to speculation at best, as I am not looking for a new career. Tell me about New York. It's crowded. Lee glanced over his shoulder only to see Draco disappear around the corner and out of sight. Tell me about Malfoy. You seem chummy. Hermione rolled her eyes. I happen to be his mother's personal healer, and we're working together on a few projects. We were in the middle of a conversation when you so rudely interrupted. What was he doing? Lee cocked a brow. Asking you out? The way he was looking at you? You're incorrigible. Sidestepping him, Hermione tossed a hand up as she went. Goodbye. It almost took no time to find Draco, who regarded her with a quick glance before continuing on. She fell into step beside him, noticing his tiny shift and chalking it up to him being his normal prickly self. Draco was looking at a disillusionment necklace designed to allow children too young to do magic to hide when needed, but only once. It was the first thing he hadn't put back. Are you getting that for Scorpius? No, for myself. To test it and see how it works. To create your own? Possibly. His response was dry. Perhaps create one that lasts longer than a single use. What else have you created? Your ring and Narcissa's necklace are two things. I... Hermione's mouth shut when she glanced over at the wizard. He looked irritated, but not at any product in the store. I'm certain I can manage if you want to catch up with Jordan. Oh, he was irritated at her. Hermione picked up a wand holster. I've finished that. I probably need another one of these. I wonder if they have a shoulder holster that... You are under no obligation to be polite. Jordan just signaled for you to join. Are you jealous? Before the question could be answered or avoided, two five-year-olds rounded the counter. Both were smiling, missing teeth adorably on display, and she knew instantly that they wanted something. She also knew she would probably say yes. Can Scorp see the chickens today? It was magical how such a small moment could feel so large in the eyes of a child, or in hers. Even with Al's prodding and encouragement, Scorpius remained rooted in the grass by the entrance to her coop. His hands were clasped behind his back in a sure sign of nerves akin to stage fright from the tremendous build-up to this moment. It would pass. Or that was what she told Draco when he folded his arms and his mouth turned down in concern. They watched as he longingly looked on while Albus chased Pink and Zazu, the latter's joy from seeing the chickens after so long muted by Scorpius's hesitation to join in. Worried looks passed between them, and she could almost hear Al's question in her mind. Does he not like them? With the way Scorpius took a hesitant step forward, then back, Hermione doubted that was the case. She left Draco's side to help, and when she found what she was looking for, Hermione sat in the grass next to Scorpius holding Iago, the first chicken to tire of running away from Albus, and a handful of feed. Come say hi. Slowly, Scorpius sank down on his knees beside her. Iago pecked at the food in her open hand, and Hermione petted the chicken's back while keeping her eyes trained on him, unable to feel anything but Scorpius's hesitation in the moment. "'Go on, love. You can do this.' Scorpius stared at her in open trust before gently petting its feathers, very slowly the first few times, and settling beside her. "'Soft, right?' He nodded, still so focused, but his tension began evaporating. She stole a glance at Draco, who watched just as intensely from his spot, and waved him over with a single finger. Albus as well, since Pink and Zazu were more focused on food than him. 
The transition from her lap to Scorpius was as easy and calm as the growing smile on his face when Albus sat in front of him with a lopsided grin. "'Do you like them?' The hope in Albus's voice was loud in the silence provided by nature. Scorpius nodded, mouth quirking in a way that made his dimples show. Dubious was the best word to describe Draco upon entering the area, but when he sat in the grass next to Scorpius and petted the chicken after a long but amusing stare-down with his son, another word came to mind. Treble. When Draco's guard was lowered, she was allowed to see the man beneath the mask, and in moments like these, he was the embodiment of that word. She couldn't deny the way she felt when witnessing his efforts to support his growing bond with Scorpius, even if it meant stepping out of his comfort zone, like now. Life hadn't been kind, but each time it afforded him a bit of reprieve. It was strange how much these emotions resonated with her. Can Scorp have his own chicken? Albus's question drew her attention. We all have one. Scorp needs one, too. Um... Hermione looked at Scorpius, only to find him with his eyes that practically screamed, Please! Oh, Merlin, she had no plans for another chicken. Three was enough, but here she was, already thinking about the nearby farmer. He would likely have baby chicks available in the coming months. She could imagine the sight of Scorpius holding it reverently, and her ears already rang from the volume Pansy's scream would likely reach when she saw one, or maybe two, baby chicks in her new clawfoot tub. No one just had one baby chicken. Everyone needed a friend. I'll think about- Yay! Hermione smiled at Albus' overt and premature excitement. Scorpius's quiet smile as he released Iago to join the others, then over to Draco, who looked on with an air of amusement. She felt light, sitting in the grass and warmed by the sun. Oh. The others will be here soon for lunch. Hermione clapped her hands together. What do you think we should make? Pizza! The suggestion only won when it became clear Scorpius had no idea what pizza was. Determined to change that, it took almost no time to get everyone inside. First, she sent the boys off to wash their hands while she preheated the oven. Al's loud promise not to play in the sink made her chuckle while she washed her own hands in the brewing room. Draco stepped into the storage closet, and after drying her hands, she leaned against the doorframe to watch him. "'What are you doing?' "'Making sure you have everything we need.' I'll also need to use your flu to check in at work. Okay. She started to back out, but came forward in a moment of bravery. Monday night. Draco paused. What about it? I chose the date. I'll be spending the full moon at Pansy's, which will likely turn into the weekend. So, Monday. You choose the location. She cleared her throat. I'll go start the pizza with... You're overthinking this. As I do. Given the list of locations she knew of, thanks to Pansy, so was he. Hermione almost said something to that effect when he paused his task and stepped in front of her. A finger lifting her chin left her heart fluttering as she accepted one of his kisses. It wasn't at all delicate, but neither was he. Deeper than the first one days ago in the conservatory, but quicker than she'd like. The kiss ended, and Draco pulled back before she could ride the wave of sensation. Left feelings stirred in a way that temporarily, and annoyingly, cleared her mind of clutter, chaos, and honestly everything else. Well, almost everything. I should go. Not that she wanted to. You should. Hermione felt his stare as she went. It took every speck of willpower she possessed not to look back. Homemade pizza was easy, but Hermione didn't make it often. 
There was a recipe for almost everything, and she found one quickly, reading it out loud to her helpers, while they brought her everything she needed. They got to work, making two pizzas for everyone. Hermione stood between two stools, where the eager little boys worked quietly, listening to her direction and explanation. Flour was everywhere. Scorpius had a bit on the tip of his nose, and Al couldn't stop laughing at his cross-eyed attempts to see. Hermione wiped it away. By the time Harry and Ginny arrived with James and Lily, the last pizza was fresh out of the oven. Everything was set up in the conservatory, where the table was expanded and a mishmash of transfigured chairs were arranged around it. It wasn't until well after they started eating that Draco emerged from her office and joined them in the open seat to Hermione's left. She still pointedly ignored the looks from her friends. They were well past Scorpius's first experimental bites, and he and Albus were on their second slice, happy to be reunited. James was on his third, chattering about the new toys he got from the joke shop with his mouth full. Lily was halfway through her first, but opted to lay on the chaise in the sun after declaring herself to be a cat. Draco didn't eat. Not even when Ginny gathered all of the children for post-lunch quiet time, which involved arranging everyone in front of the barely used tally for cartoons. When she didn't return after thirty minutes, Hermione went inside to discover the cartoons were watching the majority of them. Only Albus and Scorpius were still awake on the floor. The former was explaining the show on the telly to the latter. Ginny was stretched out on the sofa, with James on the opposite end, and Lily curled up in front of her. Hermione summoned blankets for them all and left them to nap in peace. Al and Scorpius are watching the telly. The rest are asleep. Hermione shook her head once she returned. The mild conversation between Harry and Draco ended upon her arrival. Even Ginny. Harry didn't look surprised. Late nights and early mornings for the last few days. She was bound to crash somewhere. He grabbed another slice of pizza, which reminded her yet again that Draco hadn't. The desire to know why was compelling. Are you not hungry? I don't care for cheese. He looked as though he'd rather discuss anything else. What? balked Harry. How did you survive in France? Without cheese, Draco drawled tonelessly. The irony of having a son who loved it wasn't missed. Well, I can make you something else if you'd— They all turned their heads when two little boys emerged. But instead of Albus prodding Scorpius along, it was Scorpius's turn to do the guiding, and they came straight to her. Scorpius gave his friend an expectant look. Can we walk to the trees? Hermione glanced over at Harry, who seemed surprised. Only if you're sure. Harry sounded as patient as always. We can wake Lily, James, and— No, Albus said, dimming slightly. I just— "'Can you hold my hand, Dad?' "'Sure,' Harry's eyes softened. "'I won't let go unless you want me to.' Hermione and Draco lingered several paces behind, both focused on the sight of Albus walking between his dad and best friend, who periodically looked back to make certain they were still there. The sun was high in the sky, but it wasn't hot, just comfortable. The fresh air, the grass beneath her feet, the presence beside her, the fingers that repeatedly brushed against hers. They didn't talk.' It didn't feel like the right moment to exchange words. Draco seemed to enjoy the silence, and Hermione kept looking at him, trying to confirm her suspicions, but his focus was on the trees ahead. Before she knew it, they were passing Albus's last marker. But just as Hermione was marveling over the fact that he was still going strong, that they were getting so close, maybe ten yards away, Albus stopped abruptly, and his head tilted up at the tall trees. Harry took a knee next to his son, and talked to him while Scorpius looked between them, concern etched all over his face. Al's cheeks were turning red, and her instinct was to help, but she hung back, not wanting to crowd him. 
After a minute, Harry stood up and turned to him. We'll try again. But he never finished. Much to her shock, Scorpius stood in front of his friend. There was that familiar determination in his eyes as he got Al's attention and started walking backwards towards the trees. And Al followed, trusted him, step by step. His eyes focused squarely on Scorpius, who kept him distracted from obsessing over the vastness ahead. And they all followed behind the two little boys. Scorpius only turned his head once, and that was when he walked up the last few feet and touched the tree before holding out his hand like a lifeline. Al took it. When he touched the tree for himself, a moment so small and insignificant to anyone else, he sobbed and grinned and didn't let go of either lifeline. Harry joined them, looking elated as he kneeled beside his son. She already knew he was telling Al how proud he was, even as he wiped his tears. Draco's approach to Scorpius was much more subtle, more fitting to who they both were. Draco placed a hand on his son's shoulder, and Scorpius leaned against him while still holding Al's hand. To Scorpius, Harry offered his appreciation in a hand gesture Hermione hadn't expected. Thank you. August 15, 2011 Hermione sat at the island and flipped through a vegetarian cookbook for inspiration for lunch when three words at the top of the page caught her attention. Back to basics. Maybe it was time she did just that. She started by putting away the book and pulling out all of the ingredients she'd brought, and before she knew it, Hermione was grabbing flour and making crust for individual vegetable pies, something small and able to fit in a muffin tin. By the time Scorpius signed his greeting and carefully made his way onto the stool, Hermione was letting lunch cool on plates. But the exhilaration she'd had while creating it had faded and worry was beginning to set in. It was simple. Maybe too much? Maybe the filling was too thick, the vegetables might not be done, and she was now second-guessing the seasonings. But she'd made it with her own combination in mind using all the tools she'd learned along the way, and most notably, no direction. In the end, none of it mattered. There were only two opinions that counted, hers and Scorpius. The little boy enjoyed it so much he put down his fork to sign his request for seconds. Of course. Hermione watched him tuck into his second helping before trying it herself. It was good. Perhaps she'd let it bake for a few minutes too long, but it was hers, and that was the most important thing. Catherine's entrance didn't cause any alarm, neither did the appearance of Narcissa's security team or sex. But when Andromeda entered behind her with a panicked expression on her face, Hermione snapped to attention. Hermione got up in a move that made Scorpius look up, but before he could turn towards the group of adults standing together, she touched his wrist to get his attention and excused herself. Finish up, okay? I'll be right back. He nodded, pulling his father's note from his pocket to look at it, as he often did towards the end of a meal, reading, or trying to interpret while eating. He reminded her so much of Draco reading the paper while drinking tea. Hermione's fond smile fell when he stopped looking. Something was very wrong. Hermione made a sharp gesture for everyone to follow her into the study off the living room, out of Scorpius's earshot. Whatever had brought them together wasn't something he needed to hear or know about. After grabbing her trusty bag off the island, Hermione draped it across her chest and led the way. Her mind was rolling as she tried to figure out a solution before she even knew the problem. Hermione shut the double doors with a curl of her finger. The corners of her lips dropped into a frown. The scene reminded her of a time in her life when Harry turned a normal day into one where they ended up in some sort of trouble. Narcissa had an incident. Andromeda was direct, to the point, and instantly had Hermione's complete attention. What? 
She was agitated after breakfast this morning. Sax and I insisted she take time to settle, but she was insistent on keeping on her schedule today, which was busier than normal. Sax took over the tale. We were waiting for the book signing to begin when she got up and started pacing the room. She made a noise, and then she was just gone. Where is she now? Sax and the security team exchanged looks. They didn't know. How long has she been missing? An hour. Sax came to me immediately, and I let security search for one hour before coming here. Sax was frazzled. Everything from the state of her hair, clothes, and even the sweat on her brows spoke to the sort of day she'd likely already had. The two security guards were in a similar state of flustered panic, but there was only room for reason right now. We checked everywhere, every place she had wandered off to in the past. We came back here to see if she'd returned home. We were asking Catherine to contact Mr. Wait! Hermione held up both her hands. Nobody contacted Draco? The security team exchanged looks. He told us never to interrupt him while he's working. I think he would want to be informed if his mother is missing. I... Sax looked awkward. Sax knew about the fight. Hermione knew how little it mattered. Isn't he the one who always finds her? Catherine spoke up. With his ring. Finished listening, Hermione stood, ready to give instructions. First, she peeked out to make sure Scorpius hadn't followed her, but he remained out of sight. Catherine, he's already eaten. If you could work on sign language with him and take him outside before his afternoon lessons, that would be ideal. It's sunny. He'll want to sit with the cactus. Don't try to water it. We did that last week. She returned to Andromeda. If I'm not back by dinner, flew Daphne and let her know. They both nodded. Sax, was there any chance that she could have splinched herself? I'm not certain. She just disappeared. The noise was loud. Not a good jump, then. Hermione swore under her breath. Any issues after her potions this morning? It was a question worth asking. None. She was mostly fine. Sax seemed to rack her brain. She complained of a headache and some general left-sided weakness, but that was it. I asked if she wanted to rest, and she declined. Right before she apparated, she was agitated because she was insistent that she'd brought her brooch and couldn't find it. I was trying to calm her down and redirect her when she apparated. I see. Would you mind excusing us? Hermione gave Catherine a look, and the witch left to fetch Scorpius. Andromeda followed. Hermione was unamused. The next time anything like this happens, don't try to find her. Tell Draco immediately, or come to me and I'll go to him. Splinching isn't our only concern. She could have apparated too far, or found herself in a dangerous situation. Uncontrolled magic, wandering and confused and lost. Panicked and afraid. She could wind up in the wrong situation, or worse. Accidentally spotted by Death Eaters. The threat of danger was real. Too real. Please remain here so she'd turn up. You two, Hermione pointed at security, canvas the area around where she vanished, and around this house. Look again at all her previous places and expand the search from there. Report back to me via Patronus. The two nodded and left immediately. Sax, flew call Theo and notify him there's been an incident, and to be on the lookout for any messages from me or Draco. And if he's not there? Keep trying until he answers. Hermione left with one destination in mind. Scorpius. He was now sitting on the sofa with Catherine, holding his cactus while giving her an unimpressed look that perked up when he saw Hermione. She took a knee beside him. I need to go do something, and I'll be back as soon as I'm finished. He started to move as if he were coming with her, and Hermione shook her head. I need you to stay here with Catherine. We've already talked. She won't water your cactus. Promise, his nanny gave him an assuring smile. There were positives about his hyper-obedience. He clearly didn't like that Hermione was leaving early, but nodded in acquiescence anyway. 
Cupping his cheek with her hand, she raised it up just a bit. "'Show Catherine how good you are with signing letters so that she can be as good as you one day.' The proud look that appeared on his face made her smile. Hermione glanced over at Andromeda, who watched the exchange with a soft expression. "'Can Teddy come over when he gets out of camp?' "'Of course.' In no time she was stepping out of the flue into Draco's empty office. A quick glance at his open scheduler on his desk next to the slightly glowing potato showed her exactly where he was. Training. And off she went. No room number needed, just a hunch. Ignoring curious looks from task force members, she walked with a purpose past secretaries who tried to stop her, and people who whispered as she passed. Nothing else mattered. Hermione was single-minded on her way to the training rooms she'd seen the last time she'd been searching for him. More eyes and whispers followed her as she made her way down the corridors of the ministry. It wasn't until she got to the hall with the training rooms that she realized she had absolutely no idea which room he might be in. There were eight. The first four were empty, but the fifth was full of unfamiliar faces lined up in preparation for dueling. Her presence earned several looks. "'Wrong room. Sorry.' Before anyone could say anything, or ask her what or who she was looking for, Hermione stepped back out and closed the door. Blessedly, that didn't happen again. When Hermione opened the door to the sixth room, she spotted a familiar face. Harry stood near the door, watching. It was larger than all the previous rooms she'd been in, the ceiling higher, the walls nearly white, and the floor looked hard but felt soft against the soles of her feet. Two trainees were already at work, locked in what appeared to be a fierce duel inside a ward. The room was silent. The others stood in a semicircle around the ward as they watched the two. They appeared evenly matched and equally determined to win as they fired what looked like training spells. Draco was circling the dome, concentrating, observing, and giving direction in French. Harry noticed her. Hermione, what are you doing here? Narcissa is missing. I need... She didn't have to say anything else. Harry clapped his hands and the lights in the room brightened, which drew everyone's attention, including the heavily breathing duo inside the ward. A visibly irritated Draco turned to Harry, but his eyes fell on her first. If Hermione expected a reaction, she got one in the form of him pinching the bridge of his nose before squaring his shoulders and approaching them with long, confident strides. The closer he got, the more she noticed the nuanced changes in him. No glasses or jacket. The harness with his wand was over one shoulder, and his sleeves were rolled to his elbows, exposing a glamoured bare arm. Hermione would have rolled her eyes at his efforts, but there was literally no time. Granger, your mother has been missing for a little over an hour. Draco blinked twice before his mouth twisted into a scowl. Where are her? Can we talk and walk? She didn't try to sound urgent, but subtly wasn't her specialty. Especially during an emergency. She didn't necessarily like the ethics behind a tracking option, but need weighed heavier than moral concerns. He looked over at Harry, who nodded. I'll finish up here. Go. The two exchanged nods, and he followed Hermione out. When she started to go back the way she came, Draco grabbed her wrist just long enough to stop her. Follow me. They walked in the opposite direction. Hermione quickly fell into step beside him, stopping when he opened the final door at the end of the corridor and dipped his head inside before opening it wider for her to enter. Hermione walked under his arm and waited impatiently for him to shut the door. How does it work? Your ring. I say the spell and it takes me to where she is. Okay. That sounded simple enough. But can it take us both? She might be injured or confused. I don't know. It... Can we try? I suppose you'll have to stand close. She moved until she was in front of him, toe to toe. Closer. Hermione craned her neck up, shifting closer until she was pressed against his chest, arms around him with her hands locked together. Ready? 
Draco never gave her the opportunity to answer. He whispered the spell, and she felt a strong tug. Then, the experience was different from apparition, but similar to traveling by portkey. There was a moment when time and space blended together. Everything went from silence to the sound of ocean water in her ears. Hard floors to grass beneath their feet. Stale air to the smell of salt water. Artificial light of the ministry to the natural glow of the sun. It was blinding, disorienting. The entire jump had left her feeling odd and out of place. Hermione stumbled back and instantly blocked the sun with her hands, looking around what appeared to be a flower-covered cliff overlooking the ocean. I don't see her. She's... They both spotted something at the same time, a body lying in a heap surrounded by flowers. Or what they thought was a body. Send a message to Theo, now! Hermione ran towards what was definitely her patient. Confirmation came more into focus the closer she got. Narcissa was unconscious, looking fragile and small. She was bleeding from a wound on her thigh large enough to stain her robes. Her face was flushed, her lips chapped. There was no telling how long she'd been like that. And that scared her. Most of the time, it wasn't the disease that killed people in the end. It was accidents like these. Hermione dropped to her knees. Her immediate instinct was to check for a pulse, but she spotted something else first. The shallow rise and fall of her chest. Breathing a sigh of relief, she dug her wand out of her bag and quickly performed every diagnostic charm she knew. Reviving her was an option, but when Hermione lifted her robes and saw the obvious signs of injury that had been hidden by the grass, she decided against it. That amount of pain might send her into shock. Dittany was the first bottle she pulled from her bag as she began slowly checking over Narcissa, her head behind her neck. There was a rock where grass should have been, and blood on Hermione's hand. That became her number one concern. Draco appeared, while Hermione worked as best as she could without moving Narcissa too much. It was nearly impossible. Silently, he lowered to his knees on the other side of his mother. Is she... Alive, unconscious. She hit her head on a rock when she landed. I need your help to keep her head and neck steady. He did so while Hermione slowly turned her to see the wound. It was nasty, but she couldn't see the source for the blood matting her hair. And trying to be careful only made it more difficult. She covered the spot with a cloth she pulled from her bag. Theo is sending a healer and a Mediwitch, but we're too far for a single jump. He's setting up a port key to send them here and another to bring us back to the rooftop of St. Mungo's. He'll have a team ready for us when we arrive. Where are we? Jurassic Coast. Narcissa had to evaporate again. The distance from where she'd gone missing to here. The effort alone would have killed her. The stress from one accidental apparition was always hard on her body. She usually slept the entire next day. It was hard to imagine what two would do to her. How long did they say? A few minutes. Draco never took his eyes off his mother. He helped roll her back so Hermione could apply Dittany to the wound on her thigh. Though gentle, she could see the slight shake of his hand, the little hints of anxiety she might associate with most people, but never before with him. He was scared. Of course he was. It took little effort to cover his hand with hers, just for a second, before she continued. Will she? She's stable, but we need to get her to St. Mungo's. And fast. Hermione had done the best she could with what she had, and it wasn't much. Patching Narcissa up was a quick job she completed in silence, but that didn't stop her from catching sight of Draco slipping his hand into his mother's in what was a small and private act. Hate and love were both strong emotions. Some would even argue they were a basic part of human nature. 
Both were the results of either actions or reasons. Two sides of the same coin. Easy to mix, hard to separate, felt with equal ferocity. But which one lurked beneath the bitterness and friction between mother and son in that moment was clear. Hermione had known it rested there all along. She'd seen it in their actions, both subtle and not, and it was obvious in the way they fought both for and against each other. Love. Sometimes it looked like apathy, but right now it looked like a son holding his mother's hand. To comfort her, and maybe himself, too. Draco's eyes spoke of confessions that his mouth never uttered. He wasn't ready. To witness her decline. To watch her forget. To lose her. Exhaustion was more than just physical fatigue. It was a state of mind. But awareness of it didn't restore Hermione's energy. It felt much later than it actually was when she and the healers finished with Narcissa. The last six hours seemed to stretch into months. And though it would take time, her patient was safe and on the road back to challenging Hermione at every turn. After stepping out of her unconscious patient's room in a private wing, she dragged a hand down her face before moving on to the next order of business. Gathering the parchment from her bag, she made the long walk to Roger's office, only to discover the door was shut. Hermione knew where he was. Not many additional researchers had been hired yet, just the few occupying the large glass rooms that lined the wall, working on experiments that caused magical reactions, or sitting behind desks on the main floor. Roger was easy to find, the only one standing towards the back wall. There was a stack of parchments floating next to him, and when he noticed her, he waved her over. "'Ah, Hermione, to what do I owe this pleasure?' "'This is impressive.' "'We just got the rights to expand with magic, so I didn't want to waste time. We're still extending some sections, but it'll take a little longer.' He noted the parchment in her hands. "'How can I help you?' "'More file copies from Narcissa's case study.' "'I heard she was brought in.' "'Accidental apparition with injury. How is she?' "'Stable. Still unconscious, but I'm optimistic she'll wake tonight or in the morning. This isn't the first incident since I've become her healer, but it is the most dangerous. There are aspects of her condition I'm trying to figure out, and one is the sharp incline of events over the past couple months. I know you're building your case study on her, but can you look into this? I've reached out to Charles Smith, but I'd like to get as many eyes and opinions on it as possible.' "'Of course.' Roger accepted the stack of parchment. Perhaps in the meantime, you should look into a potion or something that stops her from operating without intent. Or maybe an object. Maybe just an adjustment to one she already had. Why hadn't she thought of that before? Brilliant idea, honestly. Hermione would have to talk to Draco about it sooner than later. Speaking of her treatment, Theo told me you're experimenting on your own. I am. I've looked at the ingredients, and I'm intrigued by what you're attempting to change. I'm not aiming to change anything exactly. I'm hoping to combine all nine into one. As her disease progresses, it'll be easier to get her to take one potion over the current number. And if it works, it's not as time-sensitive as her current regimen. I think it will help. Are you doing this on your own? I can... It's a pet project. She kept the details of her partner silent. It was none of his business. I feel that rather than experiment for all patients, I'll try to perfect the potion for one. Perhaps we can customize it and expand use to others who suffer from her illness, but I'm experimenting with binding agents and the ingredients are limited. Until I can figure out a way to cultivate it, I'm a bit limited. I also don't know if it'll work, if the brew will be effective, or if it'll even... And you are preparing to brew the potion with that many extraneous variables. Yes, Hermione blinked at him. You said it yourself. It's an experiment. 
It sounds like you only have so many chances to get it right. That's true, but that's only if I can figure out how to cultivate the plants. Neville and I have been working on that part of it already. Even though they hadn't come up with any clear answers. Perhaps you should wait until you have more answers. I think today's shown me that I can't wait for everything to be perfect in order to experiment. I have to try. And if I fail in every way possible, then, and only then, can I honestly say that I've tried everything. That I've done everything possible. And right now, I can't say that. I've monitored, I've taken ample notes, I've gone along with all the expert opinions, and I've treated her symptoms according to their proven method. But what I need to think of is creating my own. I need to look beyond what I know and what I can confirm. There's no cure. I'm aware of that. I am. But that shouldn't stop me from thinking about the possibility. Perhaps in the future. Roger's eyes turned scrutinous. This sounds personal. In some ways it isn't, but in some ways it very much is. But to its core, this is me doing everything I can for my patient and her family. Perhaps it is personal. There's nothing wrong with caring. She expected more argument, but he only nodded. If there's anything I can do to help, I'll let you know. In my honest opinion, this isn't an undertaking you should go at alone. She wasn't. It wasn't the response she gave, having kept Charles' advice and Draco's potion in mind. But what she said didn't give away much at all. I'll keep that in mind. Thank you for your help. She started to leave when Roger stopped her. Oh, uh, in other news, Charles Smith accepted the head researcher position, and will start in late September. He's bringing experience from his own research and work. I think his presence might be beneficial to your efforts. Perhaps it would. The walk back to Narcissa's room felt longer. The lights on the hall seemed brighter, and as healers and mediwitches alike passed her with smiles and curious looks, Hermione found her return smile thinning with each step. She yawned twice, despite the fact that it was before ten o'clock, and rubbed her face. She couldn't be tired. Not when she had hours of paperwork to do and even more hours of official charting that had to be completed before she could rest. Just the idea of it all deepened her exhaustion. Hermione turned the corner that led to her destination, prepared to find the healers finishing up, but she came upon an unexpected sight instead. Draco, sitting on the edge of his mother's bed, watching her sleep with their hands clasped together. Hermione almost cleared her throat to announce her presence when he moved, reaching out and carefully sweeping her hair behind her ear. He covered her forehead with his hand, then her cheek. Each move, the way he was looking at his mother, all of it was gentler than she'd ever seen from him. More open, honest, like earlier. It still caught Hermione off guard, not because of the action, but the heavy emotions around each one. The truth she'd known all along was now being expressed so fluidly. And when his mother reached up with a free hand to cover his, Hermione's heart stopped as quickly as Draco's hand stilled. Narcissa's eyes were slow to open, but when they did, they were glossy and focused on her son, probably for the first time in too long. It was hard to interpret, but the magnitude of a simple exchange was there, in the air, and it made Hermione's stomach coil in nervous knots about what was happening and what might be said. Like a spectator, she watched a mother and son exchange two words simultaneously that allowed her to breathe. I'm sorry. Simple to speak, yet complex in meaning. The words were more powerful the less often they were spoken. Apologies were more than just an intentional act. They were a unique form of memory due to a tangible connection between past mistakes and present remorse, wrapped up in a few simple syllables. Two words that could act as the balm that began the process of healing deep wounds, 
de-escalating a quarrel, drawing people closer, and changing lives. But those two words couldn't fix everything. And yet, it was the start they both needed. Everything happened for a reason. Hermione believed that to her core, and it begged to wonder if the purpose of all the mishaps and missteps, the arguments and strife, was for them to get to this point. Narcissa's first step towards forgiveness, and the moment Draco began to let go of his anger, their new beginning. Though he would likely never forget, he was ready to forgive. They understood each other's armor was nothing more than rusted metal, man-made, temporary. This was the exact place where pride fell, and humility rose to begin restoration, offer peace and understanding, and ultimately seek forgiveness and healing. Draco, where am I? Nasissa tried to look around, but was unable. A painful grimace deepened her features. You shouldn't move. I remember nothing. Hermione could hear the fear in her weak voice. Once again, the emotions in her tone served as a reminder, not of their uphill battle to make Narcissa see reason about her care, but of her ongoing fall, her decline. Coming to grips with her disease was like clutching at clouds. Impossible. St. Mungo's. Hermione could barely hear him, his gentle voice nearly a murmur, so she took a step forward. You apparated, likely twice. Granger and I found you. Draco stopped Narcissa when she moved to sit up. Try to relax, mother. To Hermione's surprise, she did. Maybe she was disoriented. Maybe she was just overwhelmed by her son's concerned presence. But for the first time, Narcissa relaxed completely and closed her eyes taking one breath after the other, while Draco watched intensely as if he were making note of each movement and readying for the information for analysis. Their hands were still clasped together. I am deteriorating. Draco looked down, and it hurt. I am terrified. So was he. Hermione decided it was the right moment to make her presence known by stepping fully into the room after a quick knock on the door. Narcissa's eyes opened, and Draco turned his head, not releasing his mother's hand. Approaching the bed, she stopped once to glance at the enchanted parchment with her readings. Not bad, but not good. Her leg brushed against Draco's as she stepped into the spot in front of him. Be honest with me, Miss Granger. How much time do you think I have? I will always be honest with you, Hermione told her gently. I have always been honest with you, even when we don't agree. Especially then. She gave Narcissa a fond look that made a glimmer of a smile appear on her face. I can't answer your question about time. She peered at the healer's work. There would be faint bruise on her hairline. I'm no longer focused on it. Only what I can do in the interim for your comfort. That doesn't mean I'm giving up. But this is what you want. Things like this will continue to happen the more you decline but I will be here to ease this process as much as possible. I'm still going to fight for you, but I need you to do something I've promised to do myself and step out of your comfort zone. Andromeda said the same thing, repeatedly. It was nice to know they had another ally. Narcissa's eyes slipped shut. The potions worked to heal her body from the inside and settled her mind. Soon her breathing evened, deepened. Hermione finished updating everything with the quick quill at her side. Draco didn't let go of his mother's hand. He never stopped watching. His mind was visibly churning. 
She nearly left him to it and was contemplating just that when she turned. Draco? He looked at her. What? You need to go home and rest, if you can. Potter forced me to take the day off tomorrow, so I'll stay here on the sofa. I'll make certain I'm home in time for... His words died when she impulsively stepped into his space, hesitating twice before doing what came naturally. Pressing a kiss to his forehead in an offer of comfort, she let her lips linger for an indeterminate amount of time, until she tucked her head into the crook of Draco's neck. It felt like an eternity had already passed when his arms slowly curled around her, drawing her closer, his grip tightening as if he let go of everything he'd been holding on to since they'd found his mother. In no time, Hermione's inhale became his exhale. Subtle. In and out. The growing need to analyze and categorize this, and her feelings for him, wanted to run rampant, but she stubbornly kept it stuck in place. But the effort didn't stop panic and chaos from blending into something she knew well. It rose in her like a paralyzing flame. Fear. Chaos was the law of nature. Order was the dream of man. Henry Adams. Chapter 27. Finding Hope. August 24th, 2011. Lately it seemed like every day was hectic, and this one was no exception. For once, it was busy in the best possible way. In an unexpected move earlier in the day, Narcissa had finally agreed to occupational therapy. But after consent came work, arranging the bedside meeting, providing everything for Draco to run his necessary background checks on the potential therapist, and completing the mountain of paperwork needed to immediately change the course of her charge's care. Not to mention everything else she checked off her mental to-do list. Between Narcissa's acceptance and lunch with Scorpius, Hermione flew called Neville about the cultivation progress and set a meeting with him to check on the plants housed in his greenhouse. Just after lunch, she met with Roger, who had provided a summary of his review, and finally she spent a long time on another flu call, but this time with Charles, asking every question she could think of. "'Enjoy the win,' he said when she finally reached the end of her extensive list of questions. "'You've more than earned it. Pick up the fight again tomorrow.' Everything really had gone better than she could have hoped for. All that was left before she called it a night were a few final pages of her daily charts. Charting was the bane of every healer's existence. With Narcissa in the hospital, and Hermione operating out of her rarely used office in St. Mungo's, everything had to be extremely detailed and completed in a timely fashion for the review board. There was a knock at her office door. Come in. Entirely focused on her task, she barely noticed the door open and shut. But when the visitor didn't say anything, Hermione lifted her head. Her irritated comment died on a breath at the sight of Draco. The only thing she could do was blink. Perhaps she was hallucinating. Draco? Granger? A puff of air escaped her. There was no denying he looked... Good? Fit? Handsome? Casually dressed to perfection? All of the above? Gray that one time was one thing... But a white shirt? Even with the black trousers and skinny tie to round off his look, this was different. Hermione appreciated the beauty found in color, but there was something about monochrome scales that appealed to her inner simplistic nature. She felt more than a little underdressed for their rescheduled walk, and tried to tamp down the flare of irrational irritation, but he wouldn't stop looking at her. It was disheartening. 
if she had to admit it to herself, because she'd made an effort. Not a bad one, either, given the looks she'd earned that day. But perhaps she could change, or... My assumption was correct. And that was? Hermione watched his steady approach. He didn't appear judgmental as he skimmed the controlled chaos on her desk. He'd likely gotten used to the daily sight of her charting since Narcissa's admittance. His mother's stay in the hospital was a strict secret, and using public entrances and exits would have surely started rumors, so she'd kept the flu connection in her office open to the Malfoys' home for both her and Draco to easily come and go. That she wouldn't be ready. Oh. Hermione valued punctuality, but even she wasn't immune to tardiness. I'm nearly finished. Returning to her task, she quickly made the final notes. The sound of her quills scratching was the only noise in the silence. Normally she would review it before sending it off, but there was no time. Is Scorpius with Catherine? Draco sat in the chair on the other side of her desk, in a strange role reversal. His first counseling session went well, though. Hermione stopped writing and gave him her undivided attention. What does that mean? The session was a staring contest, or so I was told. As expected. She shrugged at Draco's perplexed expression. What? Scorpius assesses everyone he meets, and doesn't like all of them either. It's his way. And yours. Hermione gave him a meaningful look that earned her a glare. Smiling, she picked up where she'd left off, in both her work and her opinion. If they're good, they will know to be patient with him, draw from his interest, and allow him to set the tone. Did he eat? They were eating when I left. Draco paused. Did you tell him you weren't coming to dinner? I didn't have to. Dinner isn't typically a meal we share. He doesn't expect me unless I specifically tell him. Did Catherine see what I— The vegetarian shepherd's pie, yes. Did he? He was enjoying it. Relief flooded Hermione. She wasn't certain how Scorpius felt about lentils, but there was a growing trend of him eating simply because she'd prepared it for him. Except for hummus. Not even pita bread could convince him to like it. Shaking her head at the fond memory of their latest attempt and the priceless faces he'd made, her smile fell when she realized Draco was watching her. He checked his watch. It's a quarter past six. An hour before sunset. Finished. Hermione tapped her wand to send the file off for review. When it vanished, she stood, unsure of what else to do. And Draco's eyes dipped before sliding back to hers. But he didn't say anything. And despite her constant pursuit of learning what each of his mannerisms meant, she was still lost when it came to him more often than not. Her hackles rose as he got up and began circling the desk. Regretting the effort she dedicated to picking out the fitted gray dress, Hermione summoned her shoes with an irritated wave of her wand. She could still feel him watching as she changed from charmed anti-slip trainers into a pair of comfortable black flats. Not the best, but they were cute and practical. Finally, giving in to her growing irritation, she huffed. I can just go home and change and don't. When she turned, Draco was right behind her. Close. He rested his hand on her shoulders. Sinking into the depths of her festering aggravation, Hermione looked down. She hardly knew what to do with her hands, or her eyes, or the rest of her body. Should she step out of his reach, or closer? In the end, Hermione did neither. She folded her arms and shifted from foot to foot. Obviously you don't approve. Actually, I do. A prickle of guilt trickled over her, and Hermione's irritation evaporated like the fog when the sun came out. Awaiting her was clarity. It rose along with her chin as a flush of understanding washed over her. His measured stare wasn't one of judgment. It was awareness. 
attraction. I thought you didn't... It's my favorite color. As if he hadn't told her something new and surprising, he moved along, sliding his hands down her arms and leaving goosebumps in his wake. Are you ready? Sunset was a time for languorous admiration of colorful skies, a time for reflection and wonder, for curiosity, awe, a time to stop and admire the beauty of nature. Hermione didn't often give herself the chance to do so, but when she did, it was always in the comfort of her conservatory. Tonight, in the arboretum Draco had chosen, there was something different about watching the sunset. Beautiful wasn't just a word with an explicit definition. It was a concept and a state of mind. But no other phrase came to mind during their walk through Kew Gardens. By the time they arrived at the winding bridge, the waning sunlight was given away to the waxing darkness in the stunning display. It stopped Hermione mid-sentence, drawing her to the rails, just to watch. Crossing her arms and leaning against the railing, she watched the swans in the water below and spent a few moments just taking it all in. Draco slipped his arm around her lower back and splayed his hand on her side in a simple gesture that made her smile into the distance. "'Did you know that the colors of the sunset reflect from light refracted by particles in the atmosphere?' Hermione bit her lip. "'Of course there's more to it than that.' but I don't want to bore you with the talk of light behavior and the composition of the atmosphere, wavelengths, and scattering. The sound of nature was all she heard until his chuckle interrupted it. <laughs> Why am I not surprised you know that? Hermione bumped his arm, but Draco didn't budge. I thought the sunset was intriguing, so I read about it in a book. Also unsurprising. His drawl sounded both smooth and sharp. Maybe it was the humor radiating off of him, or the ease of their prior conversation. But whatever it was, she laughed freely, and caught the almost imperceptible upturn of his lips. Her smile faded slowly when he looked down. Over the course of the week since whatever this was had started, Hermione had realized Draco didn't openly smile much, if at all, even when happy. If she had to guess, she would think Scorpius could bring it out of him, but she was strangely satisfied with the littlest quirk of his lips. It was both real and charming. Inhaling the fresh air, she took a look around. Trees, flowers, birds. The warmth of the sinking sun contrasted with the coolness of the breeze. The ripple of the water beneath the bridge moved in time with the song of wildlife, nature at its finest. The golden hour. Beauty in the colors she would never be able to replicate, even if she had a talent for art. Why did you pick this place? Her question burned its way out once her eyes landed on Draco noticing that he was looking around, too, but he lacked the sense of awe that settled into her bones. You like nature. Hermione should have expected that. Draco had a list, after all. I do. She tucked her curls behind her ear. Do you? Parks and arboretums serve a purpose, but I don't particularly care for man-made nature. She frowned, remembering an earlier conversation. For the same reasons you don't like aquariums? Yes. Nature belonged to nature alone, no one else. He wasn't wrong in feeling that way. Next time, take me somewhere you like. Noted. Both his look and the rumble in his voice shifted something inside of her. Outside of Quidditch, whiskey, and brewing, what do you enjoy? Draco glanced over her head but said nothing for a long moment. He was stalling. I haven't had much time to figure it out. His answer was honest albeit sad. Hermione turned back to the sunset. 
I do enjoy creating, he confessed quietly. Giving something mundane a new purpose is its own magic. Like the rings? He nodded. I've already created something for Scorpius. Really? When do you plan to give it to him? He has it. Now Hermione was even more confused. It wasn't jewelry. He didn't wear any. Nor did he carry anything. A thought struck her. Oh, that's clever. She ignored the smug expression on his face. Your notes. He carries several of them at a time. Let me guess. A tracking charm on the parchment? Yes. It reminded Hermione of her conversation last week. I have a bit of an odd request. Do you think you could create something else for your mother? An anti-apparition ring? The magic to create something like that is complex, but not impossible. It's worth a trip to the library. Amusement crossed his features in the form of an eye roll when she visibly perked at the prospect. I'm surprised I hadn't thought of it. Where did you get the idea? Roger Davies, of all people. I'm shocked I hadn't thought of it either. Sometimes an outside perspective helps. He made a small, hmm, in agreement. The silence that returned was shorter. Another question was already forming when he drew her body into the curve of his, and she naturally slipped one arm around his back. It was easy, like a breath, like a heartbeat. Unconscious, but raw and precarious. Draco, do you ever wonder why, in moments like this? Why what? Why this feels the way it does. Hermione swallowed thickly. You and I. Being with him now was alarmingly easy in a way that hadn't existed before, at least not to her. Recalling the earliest friction-filled debates not only embarrassed her for the way she'd misread Draco, but it also made the fact that they were now enjoying each other's company mind-boggling. Exactly when the tension had shifted from one sort to another was hard to say and even harder to remember. Not too long ago, we were... Hermione trailed off, swallowing the word nothing, despite it being the truth. And now we're here. It's mystifying and overwhelming whenever I think of it. And you... She took a slow breath. I'll admit I'm struggling with all of this. While you seem unbothered, all I do is wonder, why? The ensuing silence seemed as endless as the expanse of the sky. I'm not a romantic man, Granger. Draco's words and tone were like him, leveled and controlled, but only to a degree. Nor am I experienced with giving lip service, just as I don't believe you're the sort who needs it. Hermione opened her mouth to speak, but closed it quickly. If you want a timeline of the sequence of events or a list of moments that brought us here, I don't have it. Just like I don't have an answer to your last question. We just are. She looked at Draco only to find him observing her. If you can't see why, I can't explain it to you. I feel out of control. Hermione was uncomfortable with her own honesty. How you don't feel the same way I do baffles me. I never said I didn't. There was little control in Hermione's next action, only instinct. She brought her other arm around to join the one already on his back and threaded her fingers together. Draco didn't run or look away. Stoic. Hard to read. But perhaps Draco's wall was up as proof of his comment. He felt out of control. Which made sense. These were uncharted waters for him as well. Uncomfortable and nameless. New and fragile. This thing between them was in its infancy, still learning how to exist. But neither of them was in a place for a relationship. 
certainly not one threatening to go full steam ahead. Yet here he was, leading the way while letting her set the pace, giving her time to think, sort, consider, and decide. It should have been comforting, but it wasn't. The issue became clear when Draco framed her face with his hands, searching for only a moment. He captured her mouth in a kiss that was anything but impulsive. Its true meaning was muddled by the roaring in her mind, the fluttering in her stomach, and the curling of her toes. Just as Hermione stepped into it, searching for more, Draco pulled away, turning his head to the sunset after a quick glance at his watch. Her eyes lingered on him. Yes, this was new but she couldn't deny that it was quickly solidifying into something real. Hermione didn't know how to feel about it. Dinner. The question was so abrupt it scattered her thoughts, leaving her mind devoid of argument. Okay. Dinner was both casual and upscale. The restaurant was intimate, the colors deep and bold, but the energy was warm. Obviously Draco had dined there before, because they recognized him on sight, and led them to a private room so quickly Hermione barely had a chance to process the fact that Draco liked Indian food, until they were sitting across from each other in the dim room. Hermione blinked at their surroundings, then at him. It felt silly to be the only two seated around an enormous table. It felt like eating alone. Push over, will you? Draco did so, but only after giving her a quizzical look, which evened when she grabbed her wine glass and slid into the booth next to him. Do we get a menu? The tasting menu has been prearranged. Hermione latched on hard to the last word, head tilting and mind off to the races. Her mouth opened and shut multiple times with growing awareness. His attire. Draco noting the time in her office. The walk and the several glances at his watch. A dinner suggestion following a distracting kiss, and the restaurant that probably didn't accept anything except reservations. Prearranged meal. You tricked me into a date. I did, Draco smirked. Problem. The first course arrived before she could answer or argue, which she intended to. Hermione hadn't decided. Papadums, shrimp sorbitel, and lemon raida was paired with pleasant rosé. It was divine. Each subsequent course was better than the previous, something Hermione thought impossible. By dinner's conclusion, she had no opposition as to how he's gotten them there. It was nice seeing Draco openly enjoy something as simple as a meal. She spent too much time cataloging his expressions for reference, future and past. Conversation hadn't been abundant, but he didn't explain the reason for selecting each dish, and she left knowing something else about Draco Malfoy. He was a complete food snob. It might have bothered Hermione had she not realized how often he ate and enjoyed her cooking. Following dinner, they strolled hand in hand until they reached a safe place for Draco to apparate them to their final destination, her living room. He wasted no time in kissing her again, but it was short-lived. Nothing more than a quick catch of lips, a parting gesture. Pick the next date, Draco said against her lips. The words now had a new meaning. Um... Pansy's birthday party is next Saturday. It had been postponed after Narcissa's incident. We can go together. Unofficially, of course. Of course. He brought her hand to his lips and pressed a kiss against her knuckles. Good night. I have a little work to do. As if on cue, Hermione yawned. Or not. I might go to bed. Long day tomorrow. Oh? Dinner with my parents. Hermione was actively trying to avoid thinking about it. Also, 
before I forget, I'm going to Kingsley's on Saturday, and you should come with me. A hint of unease was all she saw, but it simmered to something thoughtful. I'll consider it. August 25th, 2011. Problems pressed into shapes, clenching and unclenching the worst-case scenarios, a constant construction of a spiraling tower of circling blocks in her mind. That was how Hermione's compartmentalization worked. Currently, there were six blocks surrounding the dinner with her parents, mainly because it was imminent. Five for her potions-related stress. The adjustments and calculations had already undergone multiple reviews. Four for the anticipation for the plant cultivation attempts. Neville had been vague during their call, and patience was hard to come by with so much on the line. Three for the restoration movement that was beginning to occupy more of her thoughts. Both the interpretation project and her impending talk with Kingsley weighed heavily on her mind. Two for Narcissa, who met with the occupational therapist that morning, which hadn't gone badly because the wizard was as tough as Hermione was. And one for the impending full moon and the uptick in conversations about safety at the hospital. Their staff meeting today had been dire at best. At this point, the Tower of Blocks was taller than her. Not multiplying, expanding. Each night, her thoughts raced with all she had to juggle. The blocks completed entire revolutions in her mind. She was able to relax when Draco and Scorpius served as a distraction, able to put the stress in a box while preparing the fall harvest and looking ahead to winter. But outside of that, avoidance was impossible. It was no surprise that Hermione still held those blocks while sitting in her regular chair in her father's painting room. Miles Davis played in the background. Change was in the air when her dad stepped aside. "'Come here, Hermione.' Puzzled, she unfolded her legs. Arguments were forming in her mind, and excuses sat at the tip of her tongue. But Hermione did as requested, joining her dad at the blank canvas. What did he want her to see? She expected him to say something wise, like, "'A blank canvas is the playground for the imagination.' But he only handed her a brush and gestured to paint. He wanted her to paint." The offer was a first, and Hermione couldn't hold back the swell of emotion, but she raised both hands. Oh, no, I can't paint whatsoever. That's... give it a chance. Her dad gently nudged her. It helps sort out whatever is on your mind. It's clear something is weighing on you. Maybe more than one something. Is it that obvious? You've sighed twenty times. I counted. Hermione smiled, cheeks warmed with embarrassment. Her dad returned the expression, only his was wider. Draw whatever you want. She couldn't help but look at him instead of the canvas. Painting is more than lessons in technique or entertainment. The corners of his eyes wrinkled as he urged her to step closer. It's a way to communicate with yourself. You don't have to be talented to do that. Is that why you paint? I find that painting is a valuable form of self-expression when words don't seem to fit. Hermione considered his words then turned to the canvas. She meant it when she said she didn't have the talents, but she did have plenty of thoughts stuck in her mind. So she drew what she could. The circular blocks. All of them. Outlined in black paint. The problem she'd been stacking spilled onto the canvas. No order. All uniform, even if the circles weren't perfect. Then she filled them with colors. Red for Narcissa, blue for the plants, yellow for the moon, green for the potion purple for the restoration. But when she finished painting, she noticed a few she hadn't filled in. Problems she didn't actively think about, but were still present nonetheless. 
lingering worries that had been assuaged, like her mother, who had hardly greeted her today. Hermione painted her block brown. The touch of concern about Ron's reaction to her and Draco turned orange. She chuckled at her choice of color. But there was another one Hermione had no color left for. The last unfilled shape in the center. A block. Draco Malfoy. All the things she tried not to think about. The moments that built over time and intensity. The conversations and hours spent together. The touches and kisses. The strengthening connection and the many ways silence had evolved between them. It was concerning, yet she seemed to forget about that entirely in his presence. And so there was nothing left to do with the block but mix black and white together to make gray. Gray like his eyes. Gray like his mood. The color was an agreement between white and black, an in-between place where both the presence and absence of color could coexist. With the canvas now complete, Hermione stood back and watched as her dad joined her, resting a hand on her shoulder. The familiar touch spoke of solidarity and comfort. She'd missed this. What is it? Her dad didn't bother to hide his confusion. My problems. Why are there so many? It's an awful lot to look at. Hermione opened, then shut her mouth, not knowing how to comment on his observation. The canvas was a completed kaleidoscope of circles surrounding a gray focal point. While she'd noticed the arrangement, Hermione had been too busy ordering her problems equally and focusing on the color combinations to worry about classification. Upon further reflection, she searched for the meaning in her choices and found none. Draco wasn't really a problem, just an issue. The two words were different, but the unavoidable conflict remained. With her heart poised on one side and her head on the other, both ready for a battle, Hermione was sure of only one thing. She would emerge from it all as a different person. She was trying to negotiate with herself in an attempt to slow things down, but rationally she couldn't stop the ever-growing awareness and chemistry. The ease in which her attraction was beginning to shift from surface to something deeper was unsettling. It left Hermione focused too hard on the gray block in the center, a square contrasting the vibrant circles around it. Gray standing out amongst the colors, no rhyme or reason, no metaphors or deeper meaning. Why is the gray one in the center? Hermione didn't even need to think about it. He just is. He? The block, I mean, she cleared her throat. The block is. Keenly aware of just how close her dad was watching her, Hermione tried not to fidget. Tried and failed. The block is a person, and he's at the center of your canvas. It's not like that. Hermione waved him off, handing him back the paintbrush once she finished cleaning it off in the water and drying it on the cloth he kept nearby. But he is on your canvas, so is he a problem? I wouldn't call him a problem, per se. If there's no solution, it's not considered a problem. Hermione carried her father's words back to the chair, where she sat in contemplation while her dad placed her canvas on the spare easel. She couldn't help but stare at her work. To qualify Draco as a problem, there had to be a solution. What was it? Or better yet, what was her actual problem? Hermione knew the root of the others, but not him. That, in and of itself, was a problem, which meant, and that was the extent she allowed herself to think about it, or him, any further was dangerous territory. But as she brushed against the line she'd drawn in her subconscious, Hermione could deem her attraction as a non-factor. Not the physical one, at least. That was on the surface, 
Her problems were deeper. Each day drew her to him, seeking and searching for more, more of his thoughts and opinions and preferences, more of his reactions and touches, more of the pieces that made him Draco. Feelings were senseless, based on illogical and intangible things, and that wasn't how Hermione operated. But that didn't stop her from thinking about him at the most inopportune moments. Now, for instance. Hermione resurfaced from the Valley of Thoughts, only to find her father staring at her. What is it? Dinner's ready. Dread stacked inside her stomach like stones, but Hermione pushed through the feeling in the spirit of repairing their friendship. Just because she and her mother didn't agree didn't mean she didn't want to spend this time with her. She followed her father downstairs to find her mother waiting at her place at the table. The plates were already made and the wine was poured. Everything looks great. Hermione sat down and swore not to pick out her mother's missing ingredient, a reminder to herself that she was trying. But her mother was not. She looked right at her dad, who was already frowning at her attitude. Enjoy! And she started eating. Dinner was so quiet, Hermione almost braved a conversation about their latest holiday just to have something to fill the void. But she didn't. Her dad wasn't a conversationalist, yet even he had tried a few times, sneaking apologetic looks across the table with each failure. Her mother aggressively cut her pork chop into bite-sized pieces. The meat was dry, but Hermione ate everything, finished her wine, and didn't ask about dessert. She doubted there would be any. Her father cleared the table while her mother poured a third glass of wine. "'How are you, Mum?' The question earned her a look of acknowledgment, and nothing more. Hermione sighed. "'I know things haven't been great between us lately, but—' The words died with her mother's abrupt chuckle. "'Forgive me. I'm just your mother who doesn't know what's best for you.' Hermione tensed. "'I'm trying to fix this so we can move forward.' "'Try harder.' "'I don't know what you want from me.' It came out in a rush, but she pushed down the instant defense. "'Do you want me to apologize? I can't honestly say that I'm sorry.' "'Of course you aren't. But I'm here, and I'm trying. I've always been here trying to fix and repair and mend, but you won't take one step forward to meet me anywhere. I always have to come to you.' Hermione clenched her jaw and took a sip of her own wine. "'I am always willing to try, and I don't ever complain. But it sounds like you're complaining now.' Hermione's mouth fell open, and she tapped her foot in agitation to hold herself at bay, to keep control of the conversation. "'As I explained before, Ron—it is not about Ron. This is about you!' No matter how hard she tried, she couldn't hold back the knot of emotions lodged in her throat. "'Yes. Let me see if I remember.' Hermione patted down her hair with a shaking hand. "'Everything is my fault, and has been my fault since I erased your memories.' Is that what you want to say? Her mother said nothing, which told her everything. Right. Okay. Hermione blinked several times and took a deep breath before standing. Not only did she not have the energy for this fight, she lacked the control, too. She was upset enough to say all the wrong words, which would only worsen things. She refused to allow her mother to push her patience again. I'll see you next time. She started to leave just as her dad returned to the room with a pie in his hands. "'Where are you going? We're about to—' "'I—I'm sorry.' Hermione was horribly warm and sick to her stomach. "'Maybe we can try again next month.' "'Or perhaps,' her mother trailed off, voice chilled, "'we should skip September's dinner. "'We'll be in Portugal the day after anyway.' 
Hermione pretended not to process that she wanted to skip the dinner that always wound up being the week of her birthday. She pretended it didn't hurt. Her father looked positively infuriated as he set the pie on the table. "'I'm sick of this!' His tone was uncharacteristic, and his mother looked startled. "'What are you upset about? Because it's not—' "'Dad, it's fine.' Hermione squeezed the ends of her cardigan and addressed the back of her mother's head. "'If you want to skip September, that's fine with me, Mom. We can skip them all.' Turning to leave, she ignored the ensuing argument that quickly rose in volume. She covered her ears when her father began calling after her, and walked faster, only releasing them to yank open the front door. Her dad caught her at the steps. "'Hermione! I—I'm sorry this happened.' His apology was almost breathless. "'I was trying to make things better. I, I don't want you to leave. Stay, please. Don't leave like this.' "'I'm sorry, too.' Tears welled in her eyes. "'But I can't stay like this, either.' No more words were exchanged. Just an understanding nod from him, and a hug that lasted long enough for Hermione to hold on tighter. Breathing him in, she tried to find comfort in the same arms she'd sought refuge in as a child. But there was no peace. It hurt more than the argument she'd had with her mother, but Hermione didn't let go. Not instantly. Desperate to search a little longer for that connection, it would be a while before she would see them again. The sad, pessimistic part of her mind wondered if this would be the last. She didn't know didn't allow herself to think about it, packed it away. When her dad tried to speak further apologies, Hermione stepped back, welcoming the numbness that always followed pain. I'm fine. Her voice sounded hollow in her own ears. I'll ring tomorrow. Hermione. It's fine. Deep down, I expected this. She let herself out the gate and shut it behind her while her dad remained right where he stood until he was nothing more than a blur. Hermione usually picked a private spot to apparate, but today she just walked, as far and as fast as her feet would carry her, down the pavement of the same neighborhood she'd grown up in, past the homes of people she hadn't seen in years. It wasn't dark yet, and as she passed each one, Hermione felt a morsel of nostalgia settling in her chest. Not for a time lost, but perhaps for a time she had never found again. Hermione walked until her anger became sadness until her sadness became grief. Walked until the washed-out brick of each house in an unfamiliar neighborhood made her head swim with the realization that she was lost. Walked until the once-clear skies above her were crowded with clouds and the wind picked up, a sign of a storm on a night it wasn't even supposed to rain. She bowed over, bracing her hands against her knees, and panted. Her muscles screamed with a strain of anxiety, and her heart beat rapidly in an attempt to suppress the ache. Hermione had no idea how far she'd gone, but everything hurt. Or maybe she was hurt. Riding herself, Hermione took each unsteady step as she stumbled behind what appeared to be an empty home. Rubbish bins lined the walls like toy soldiers, stuffed to the brim. She took out her wand and apparated to the first place she could think of. Home. Restless and emotional, Hermione paced the length of her living room. She didn't want to be there, but had no idea where else to go. Harry and Ginny's? No. Pansy's? Theo's? No. No after no piled up, and before she could stop herself, Hermione stepped into her flu and called out the name of a place that rolled right off of her tongue. Draco's ministry office was not empty. There were at least ten people crowded in the room, all familiar faces from the restoration meeting. Percy sat in the lone spare chair with his legs crossed, but he appeared uncharacteristically agitated. 
Harry was there, too, standing over Draco's shoulder with his arms folded. She walked into a battle. Percy, Harry, and Draco were severely outmatched, but everyone stopped when they noticed her arrival. The shift of focus to her made Hermione step back rather than forward. She hadn't come to fight. Honestly, she had none left in her. It made her hands shake harder as she violently stuffed her feelings away, hoping her face was the necessary mask of composure. Uh, "'Apologies for the intrusion.' "'Actually—' Wingston, the head of the Department of Mysteries, spoke up, voice grating her nerves like nails. "'You're just the person we wanted to speak to.' Hermione didn't like his tone. "'About?' "'Whether Kingsley will join the Restoration.' The head of Magical Artifacts folded her arms. "'You told us in July that you would speak to him.' "'I—' She cleared her throat, shifting her weight from one tired leg to the other trying to control the tremors in her hands while preparing to address those who were waiting. Hermione caught the look on Percy's face from the corner of her eye, offering a subtle shake of her head. She could handle this. I haven't spoken to him yet, but plan to meet with him on Saturday. What's taken you so long? Hermione didn't see who had asked, but Draco and Harry were glaring daggers at them, an odd form of solidarity. I would like everyone to maintain a respectful tone. Ever the diplomat, Percy called for peace instead of violence. Hermione has volunteered her time. She does not owe anyone answers. This is not an inquiry. This is a meeting. As you very well know, Mr. Weasley, Kingsley is a— Oi! Harry looked incredibly irritated, but Draco— Draco was now looking at her suspiciously, and she knew why. Hermione's arrival was unplanned, and she likely looked as rough as she felt, at least to the sharp eye someone who knew where she was supposed to be. I think it's perfectly acceptable for us to ask questions about Miss Granger's activities since the last meeting, Mr. Potter. The head ministry librarian sounded reasonable, but her eyes could cut diamonds. Actually, no, Harry, I can speak for myself. Hermione stepped fully out of the flue, hands fisted at her sides. What have I been doing? Harry and Percy exchanged looks, followed by twin shrugs. Nice of you to ask so kindly. It wasn't fair to take her bad evening out on anyone, but Hermione never did well when backed into a metaphorical wall. I have been focused on other tasks that have duties and responsibilities outside of the Restoration. I have a career that is time-consuming and requires a lot of effort. I refuse to apologize for doing my job. Someone cleared their throat. Her glare dared anyone to speak. Furthermore, I have been set with the task of overseeing Draco Malfoy's translations— as well as interpretations in a field I am familiar with but don't actually work in. To date, we have completed five of the eight books and have submitted 18 laws for Percy's team to review. This all takes time, and considering where we are now from where we were in June, we have made measurable progress. Hermione unclenched her hands. I have given this effort much of my time because this is something I wholeheartedly believe in, but you all make it difficult. The only people in this room who are allowed to critique how I spend my time are myself and anyone who can detail what their actual role is in this effort. If you aren't willing to help, then kindly... Our roles may not be as open as yours, Miss Granger, Wixton said, slick as oil. But I assure you that you think this is a discussion is frankly appalling, Hermione snapped. Perhaps we should calm down. Everyone turned their attention to the tallest wizard standing the head of games and sports. He combed his hand over his red hair. I just think... We appreciate your efforts, Miss Granger. 
The head ministry librarian tried to sound pleasant, but everything about her was fake. But it is imperative at this point that we find a nominee to run for the office of minister. They might be protecting you from what's happening at the ministry, but things are dire, and we need— That's enough. Draco's voice sent a shock reverberating through the room. Everyone, out. I don't— I despise repeating myself. He sounded as though he was prepared to throw them all out with magic, or even by hand. The office cleared quickly, all except Harry and Percy, who remained where they were after the door shut behind the last person. Draco stood, eyeing the last two before adjusting the sleeve of his shirt. The same request applies to you both. At least he sounded more polite that time. Slightly. Percy looked between them, but left with a slightly bemused expression. Harry followed, eyes narrowed. He would turn up at her house with his suspicions in tow in a few days, maybe less. Hermione would have to be ready for that. But for now, when the door shut, she sagged with relief. Her stomach rolled and her vision swam. By the time she righted herself, Draco was there, jaw clenched. Sorry for... The dinner. Nodding, she stared at her feet while breathing in through her nose and out through her mouth. A cord of tension was pulled so taut it was sure to break. And then what? Would she drown in the maelstrom of emotions she'd kept swallowing back since hugging her dad? Likely. Would she— The thread snapped without her consent. Hermione hated crying in front of someone who might judge her for her tears, hated that vulnerable feelings associated with the act. But it didn't matter. She could pinch herself until she bruised to stop it, compartmentalize it all and pack it away until she found a moment of privacy. But nothing could stop the tsunami. It was relentless— the pain unbridled, the memory repeating. Hermione could hear herself gasp for air. It all blew her off balance until she could do nothing except give in, rest her forehead on his chest and try to breathe. She brought her arms around Draco, holding tighter than she wanted. His palm cradled the back of her head. Zippy! Hermione opened her eyes as the little elf appeared. Yes, sir. Please prepare the guest room for Miss Granger and make her a cup of lavender tea. Let it steep for five minutes and add a teaspoon of honey. Oh, Hermione pulled away, wiping her eyes. That won't be... Draco gave her a hard look. Pleased with the task, Zippy eagerly left with a snap of his fingers. You really don't have to do that. She scrubbed both hands down her face. I'm fine. I'm just... Fine? No, not really. Hermione was not fine. Draco didn't say a word beyond calling out their destination until after she was seated on the sofa in his home office with the cup of tea Zippy had prepared cradled in both hands. He stepped out for a moment to peek in on Scorpius as he slept, and exhaustion overwhelmed her. The next time she opened her eyes, she knew it was late. Despite the blanket, she felt chilled. Sitting up and rubbing her aching head, she immediately spotted Draco on the other end of the sofa, curled on his side. He bent his long legs so as to not disturb her. It would have been much easier to drag herself upstairs to the guest room, or even home, and Hermione started to do just that. But once on her feet, weariness struck again, and she shook him gently. Draco opened his eyes slowly, stretching his legs when he saw her. This is presumptuous of me, but— He lifted his blanket, and Hermione hesitated every step of the way, until she was lying next to him. Cocooned in warmth, she drifted off to sleep in seconds. August 27, 2011. A treaty was reached without words or pretense. Draco merely turned up Saturday morning. While Hermione was packing the last of her fresh fruit into a basket for Kingsley, 
He made tea and didn't stop scowling until after his second cup. Last night must have been a long one for him. Not that she had been around to confirm as much. Hermione hadn't really seen him since waking in his arms the day before. A strange experience of tangled limbs in a small space. She'd been at a loss for what to say, until he told her to stop thinking so hard. It was easier to keep silent than put her appreciation into words when there were none that fit. Two days had passed, but Hermione remained raw from the dinner with her parents. In no mood to take this meeting, she was grateful for the company. When they made the long walk to Kingsley's door, she was even more appreciative of Draco's hand on her back and his steady presence. He was oddly still, possibly nervous. It was hard to tell, his face was a blank slate. If Kingsley was surprised to see them both, he didn't show it, just greeted them with one of his mysterious looks before accepting Hermione's extended basket of fruit and vegetables. "'Happy to see you as always, Hermione.' She stepped through the doorway after giving him a smile, then looked back to the two men still observing each other. Draco Malfoy. The lack of malice in Kingsley's tone loosened something in his stance. Sir. Still caution laced the single word, something expected. Kingsley slowly extended his hand. Welcome to my home. Draco shook it, and something she associated with relief flashed across his features. Hermione exhaled the breath she didn't know she was holding. It was a good start. They sat outside in the warming sun as it rose in the mid-morning sky, and the last bit of dew on the grass evaporated. It was going to be another lovely day, and the bees were busy making the most of it. The buzzing was louder than it had been during her previous visit. He had a jar of honey waiting for Hermione, and she tucked it into her bag, quietly excited to share it with Scorpius. Kingsley surprised her when he returned with a second jar for Draco, who expressed his appreciation with a stiff nod before handing the jar to her to place in her bag. The silence, combined with the last crisp of morning air, tried to lull her into a false sense of security. But Hermione waited, sneaking glances at Draco as he observed the land around them. Kingsley's home was more remote than hers. He liked it that way. "'I know why you're here, Hermione.' Kingsley paused for a moment. "'You're here to convince me to step out of the shadows and run for minister.' "'I am.' There was no sense in lying. "'I've been expecting this.' His eyes returned to the bees. However, I'll confess I'm surprised to see you here today, Mr. Malfoy. Draco stiffened momentarily before relaxing into the picture of perfect ease. Surprised I'm part of the solution and not the problem? Draco's face was as closed off as his tone. My involvement in the restoration is selfish at best. Something Hermione had heard him say more than once. Is it? Kingsley gave him a probing look. I find that there is a very thin, subtle line between selfish and selfless. Easy to lose which side you're actually on. I assure you I know where my loyalties lie. Kingsley rose to his feet, venturing to the very edge of the landing, and looked out at the bees. Draco's eyes took to the greenery while hers remained firmly on Kingsley. He looked regal, even in purple beekeeping robes. A thoughtful man. He gestured for them both to join him, one on each side. Do you know why I turned down Percy's initial request? I don't. Hermione realized they'd never spoken about it. There's something exhausting about power that I didn't understand until I retired. I agree. Hermione placed her hands on the railing. There are leaders, and then there are those who lead. The former hold authority while the latter inspires us. I believe you can be both. In fact, I'm confident you can, because you already do. It is not a position I ever wanted. "'Because you're a good man,' 
If you weren't, you would be all too eager to step up and run for minister. She caught Draco looking at her. He was listening. You don't approach leadership as something good or enjoyable, but as something necessary. I think the greatest disservice is to be under the thumb of someone who enjoys power. When there's no consistent public accountability, they have no qualms about putting their interest over the public's. We've lived this for the last thirteen... You're afraid, Draco said in quiet disbelief. You are correct, but my fear isn't a weakness, Kingsley explained. It's energy, a reality, and more than that, it's strength. I don't believe that. I don't expect that you would, having lived in fear at various points in your life. There was a polished bluntness to his tone that Draco surprisingly didn't appear to take offense to. Your fear response is a primal survival mechanism. When you think of it as a negative, it leads you to make decisions that negatively impact your life, makes you reactive instead of proactive. Draco tensed. But if you think of fear as a form of energy, you understand how it can be suppressed, expressed, or transformed. She looked over at Draco, but he was locked in the discussion. Do you fear power, or do you fear being corrupted by it? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Kingsley's words were familiar. Draco had said them to her months ago. A bit too pessimistic for her tastes, Hermione took a different route. But isn't the measure of a man what he does with power? Hermione stood straighter, despite being much shorter than either man. There are few people I trust, but I know you would uphold the power given to you. I know that you would be firm but fair. You would respect those who follow you and care for people just as you care for your bees. Kingsley said nothing for several minutes before looking over at Draco. You have said little, Mr. Malfoy. I play to my strengths. Kingsley chuckled at his honest answer. Smart man. My role today isn't to convince you. What is your purpose, then? Hermione was flummoxed when they both fell silent after an exchange of looks she couldn't decipher. Very well, then. Kingsley looked amused. Have you ever considered politics? Between my unwillingness and lack of desire, no. Draco folded his arms. I highly doubt people would appoint an ex-Death Eater to any sort of political office. That's not who you are. No, it's not, but you don't know who I am. I know exactly who you've become. Kingsley gave Draco one of his mysterious looks. You and I are cut from the same cloth, Mr. Malfoy. I sincerely doubt that. "'Ah, but we are human, are we not?' Kingsley's dark eyes never moved. "'Flawed, imperfect, and finite beings. "'I have always been curious about how you would turn out. "'I'm still working out the last of your three for myself. "'Atonement.' "'Hm,' Kingsley placed a hand on Draco's shoulder. "'And yet you stand before me a better man.' Draco looked down. "'Hermione, could you help me with the bees? "'You know where the suits are.' She did, leaving the two to speak alone. Not long later, she and Kingsley were walking away from Draco. He remained at the railing, staring out into the distance as the breeze lightly tussled his hair. He was lost in his thoughts, and had been when she'd returned from changing and pressed a quick hand to his back before following Kingsley. She couldn't help but think of his dislike for man-made nature and wondered if he enjoyed it out here in this space untouched by people. Kingsley was watching her. You've grown. Hermione smiled. In some ways. Growth means discomfort and stress. It can even be painful sometimes. 
You appear to be all of those things. He wasn't wrong, but she kept quiet. It doesn't necessarily mean suffering, but I believe in order to grow you need to give up something. You don't appreciate anything without struggle. Hermione absorbed his words, applying them to her own situation. Each of them. I had every reason prepared to tell you no today. Her heart stuttered in time with her misstep. But? I didn't quit because I was jaded and disgruntled by the things happening in the Ministry. I quit because I lost hope. I saw a world that was changing in all the wrong ways, and I didn't believe I could make a difference. I didn't see the point in fighting. Life was so hard when one had to fight for every scrap. It was understandable. You have reminded me that learning is not linear, and some lessons have to be learned more than once. The bees, and even Mr. Malfoy, remind me that hope and change begin in very small ways. Hermione thought about his comment while they checked each hive. Are you sure this is what you want? It is. And you? Kingsley gave her a look. What would you like to see from this? The end of corruption. Protection of the people. There was no hesitation in Hermione's answer. Freedom. Peace. Is that all you want? Yes. What about something for yourself? I don't have anything I want, per se. Hermione bit her bottom lip. But if I had to make one request... What is it? Could you find time to put out the fire at Malfoy Manor? For him. It had been burning for far too long. Hermione impulsively called for a girl's night when she left Draco and returned home following a post-dinner glass of wine and a bedtime story for Scorpius. She went to change, and upon her return, part-time barmaid Ginny already had a drink waiting for her next to where Padma sat on the island sipping her own. "'You're both early for an impromptu gathering.' "'I figure you might need the company since you actually called.' Ginny dipped below the island and pulled out another bottle of wine, followed by a bottle of fire whiskey. Harry's doing parent duties, since he'll be leaving the day after Pansy's party. Draco had brought up the trip earlier, when he'd mentioned creating a two-way journal for him to communicate with Scorpius in his absence. And you? Hermione turned to the other witch. I'm here for the drinks, Padma lifted her glass. Wedding planning. It sounded like a curse. Her friends exchanged a look before the redhead braved the question. How was your dinner with your parents? Instead of answering, Hermione picked up her drink and downed it in one go, not thinking about the wine from earlier that had left her stomach pleasantly warm. Ginny's drink was spicy, more vodka than juice and ice. Ginny and Padma gave her worried looks, and she politely ignored them. Tonight was going to hurt, but she needed to feel the burn in her chest to temper the pain of her mother's words that she'd been ignoring since. My mother is still angry and wants to skip dinner next month. But isn't that— Padma stopped herself as her eyes grew wide. Yes. Hermione peered into her empty glass. I told her to cancel them all. Awkward silence filled the room like smoke and they all knew the source of the flames. Do you want a hug or another drink? Ginny's question was valid. Other options include both or neither. Two more drinks and then maybe I'll be in a hugging mood. Or I could make you one stronger. Padma grinned mischievously. Strong for Ginny ended up being a glass of vodka with a splash of juice so minimal it barely changed the color. Hermione drank it anyway. By the time the others arrived, and everything was in full gear, her mood was in stasis. 
The pain was numbed, and her thoughts were wild and free. She sat on the sofa, comfortably leaning on Padma as they watched Pravati and Cho dance to the music on the wireless while trying not to spill their drinks. Jinny was already making another batch. As soon as Pansy stepped out of the flue, Hermione knew something was off, but her connection between rationale and observation had left for the evening and wouldn't return until the following morning. After greeting Pravati with an air kiss and giving Cho a bland look, Pansy drank two of Ginny's prepared concoctions, one right after the other, and brought the third to the sofa. She sat down next to Hermione and looked every bit like a person who was stewing in their thoughts. "'Something is definitely wrong with you,' Hermione heard the slur of her own voice and giggled. Pansy lifted an eyebrow and forced amusement. Hermione poked Padma in the side. "'Observe her for me.' "'I don't think I can observe anyone like you do.' Padma started to giggle until she looked at Pansy and the smile slid off her face. "'But there is something wrong with you.' And then she made the same decision Hermione might have had she not been tipsy. "'Pavardi, kill the music. We need to have a chat.' "'Pointless,' Pansy's tone almost sobered Hermione up. "'Almost.' She hiccuped. "'But Susan's not here yet, and I like this song,' Pravati whinged. Where is she? Finishing up paperwork, most likely. She should be here soon, Padma waved Ginny over. In the meantime, we should get started. Ginny expertly read the room, and left the drink she'd made in favor of grabbing the bottle and floating shot glasses to each with a wave of her wand. Everyone caught their own, except Hermione, who smiled brightly as she accepted hers from Padma. Are you already pissed? Pansy asked in amazement. How? "'I'm not pissed. I'm tipsy. Thank you very much.' Hermione's wide smile made Pansy shake her head. "'I had wine after dinner, followed by two drinks when Ginny got here, then an entire glass of vodka. "'It had some juice in it. "'A splash!' Hermione's laugh was unnaturally loud. "'Semantics.' Ginny shrugged before pouring everyone a shot of fire whiskey, half a shot for Hermione, who complained with a grimace. You've already mixed enough tonight. Fair, but you didn't have to like it. Hermione tossed back her half-shot with everyone else and cringed. Yes, that was the end of her drinking adventure for the night. Parvati and Cho arranged themselves on the two-seater, with Ginny taking a seat on her table. Susan, when she arrived not a minute later, summoned the drinks still left on the island and glared hard at Hermione. You! Me! Hermione held up both hands, or thought she did. But she was confused. Wait, me? It's all your fault. What? Now she was completely lost. You're going to need to be very direct with Hermione. Padma patted her leg like one would a small child and whispered loudly. She's out of it. Oi! See what I mean? The witch thumbed in her direction and grinned cheerfully. We're drinking our problems away. Join us. Right. Susan glared at her. Well, when you get sober, you'll need to tell me why in the bloody fuck Draco Malfoy is coming to my office on Monday. After running a hand through her dark hair, Susan only scowled harder. I saw his name on my scheduler for a consultation and nearly shut myself. Parvati's face twisted. How is that Hermione's... On his sheet, he said she referred him to me. After a series of false starts, it all clicked into place. Oh. Oh, I did... Hermione said proudly, for his shoulder injury. He's got a what injury? Pravardi squawked. How did I not? 
Not many people know about it, so... Shut up about it, Pansy interjected before turning to Hermione. How the fuck did you get him to deal with it? He's been ignoring it for ages. I, um... Hermione blinked several times, drawing a blank. I poked him? I feel like there's a story there. Ginny tilted her head. A good one. Bravati looked too excited. Her grin was bordering on hysterical. There's definitely a story there. Hermione did what she was best at. Diversion. Pansy, we stopped the music for you. Why are you drinking so hard? Why are you already pissed? Pansy volleyed back. With nowhere to pivot, Hermione sighed and divulged the entire dinner debacle, leaving out where she'd sought refuge in the aftermath. That wasn't anyone's business anyway, and would open up a can of worms so large she'd never be able to shut it. When she finished, they all drank in solidarity. Hermione waited until Pansy finished her shots. And now it's your turn. Yes, sharing is caring. Ginny folded her legs. I... I broke up with Percy. Everything stopped. Partly for the news, and partly because it was the first time she'd referred to him by his first name. Pansy chugged the rest of her actual drink before looking around, only then noticing that everyone was staring at her. What? What happened? Cho asked sympathetically. Pansy just glared at her, then blinked slowly before gesturing for Ginny to hand her the bottle of fire whiskey. And she did. The expression on Pansy's face didn't look like she was up for any argument. Ginny didn't look surprised. She must have already known, but wasn't taking sides. Nothing. We've been over for a few days. And you're just now saying something? Pavardi seemed hurt. I thought we were friends. It's not serious, and it never was, Pansy scowled. It was fun. Now it's over. Simple as that. Even to Hermione's hazy mind, it certainly didn't sound simple. There was something buried beneath her denials that seemed every bit as complex as the look in her eye. I thought you were happy. It wasn't the wrong thing to say. It was just said by the wrong person. Cho. I swear to fucking... Hermione covered Pansy's mouth, which earned her a bite in her palm. She glared but didn't remove her hand until Pansy rolled her eyes and conceded. I hate you. No, you don't, Hermione grinned, but let it slide off her face quickly. You did seem happy. And I was, but Percy's intense. I can tell what he wants, and it's more than I'm willing to give. Which is? Padma asked. Everything. Did you... Talk to him? Don't be absurd! And with that, Pansy got up and walked into the kitchen, effectively ending that portion of the conversation. They all stared at each other, knowing better than to revive it upon her return. When she came back with straight vodka, it was an even clearer sign to move on. And Ginny took it. Hermione! I saw you and Malfoy walking around the joke shop together last week. You both seemed... Let me guess your next word. Hermione rolled her eyes. Close! Ugh, not this again. I'm just saying. Why not? Would you like those reasons listed chronologically, alphabetically? She hiccuped. Or in order of importance? Pansy scowled. Sometimes. Hermione has a point. Cho's defense caught everyone by surprise. Malfoy's like a brick wall. And you know this how? Pansy narrowed her eyes. I know he's closed off. You don't know fuck all about Draco. Pansy looked ready to throw her drink, and it was a wonder she didn't. Don't sit here and talk about him like you do. You're right, but he appears cold. You don't even know him well enough to say that. Hermione's words caught her by surprise. 
No one has the right to put another person in a box, especially when they don't know them. I know what I've seen, what I've heard, and can you just not talk about him around me? Especially since... Hermione stopped herself from saying more than intended. The alcohol had certainly loosened her lips. Since I've gotten to know him better. Cho looked confused. But you just said you weren't... I'm just not going to let you judge him when he's not here to defend himself. If you don't want people to make assumptions about you, you shouldn't do it to him. Hermione's right, Padma said. I know what you're dealing with, but Malfoy doesn't deserve the judgment. Stop talking about him like he's some... some bloody exotic fish! Hermione's mood was as hot as the room felt. You... you see his world! It looks perfect! He looks exactly like he should! She rubbed her head in an attempt to clear the fog. Before judging... Look at his tank. I guarantee you'll see the bits that aren't right. He doesn't belong there. He... Shite! Draco's not a fish. For several moments, no one said anything. That's... Deep. Parvati looked astonished while Cho glanced down at her hands. It sounds like you've thought about it a lot. Ginny looked over at Pansy and found her similarly shocked. She had thought about it. Often. Without defending herself... Hermione got up and stumbled to the loo upstairs. When she returned, the music was back on, and everyone appeared to be enjoying themselves. But Pansy was gone. Ginny pointed in the direction of the conservatory before Hermione even asked. But Pansy wasn't there. Instead, she'd gone outside and was sitting on the swing, drinking fire whiskey straight from the bottle. Hermione joined her, not knowing what to say to someone so clearly in pain, yet too stubborn to admit it. She rested a hand over Pansy's and waited in silence blinking at the orbs of light floating over the garden. The world began to swim. Pansy's fist balled up under her palm. This wasn't supposed to happen. Pansy's words floated on the breeze, and when Hermione looked over, she noted a single tear rolling down her friend's cheek. It's awful. I hate this. What? Love. August 28th, 2011 the weather was uncommonly nice. Despite the clouds in the sky that only allowed the sun to peek through every so often, it wasn't going to rain. With flowers in bloom and a warm breeze, it was calming to be outside rather than experience it from the comfort of her conservatory. Hermione let her chickens free, watching as they snapped up insects, beetles, and grubs in two particularly problematic beds. She left them to it, confined there by magic, not that they noticed. They were having plenty of fun. It wouldn't be enough to eliminate the problem, but it would help, and the chickens deserved a little freedom while she worked to clear and fertilize a different bed in preparation for winter planning. To make a real difference in her garden, she would need at least ten more chickens. The idea alone was daunting. Still, Hermione turned it over in her head as she snuck glances at her busy workers while they pecked at the dirt. It was hard to imagine having the capacity for new chickens. Neville would have to expand the coop, which would also require different warding. Time, patience, energy. All of those things were in short supply. But there was a quiet part of Hermione's mind that fawned over the idea of Scorpius holding a fluffy chick in his small hands, naming it, petting it, caring for it, showing it to Albus, eyes sparkling with excitement and pride. Something all his own. Something he could watch grow and change. An image Hermione couldn't quickly forget. She tabled the idea for later consideration. 
It was easy to notice when they were full because they started to go after the plants, pecking the leaves just because they could. Chaotic little troublemakers. So she corralled them all back into their coop to play until they got tired. Hermione continued on, clearing the flower bed, testing the quality of the soil, and trying to figure out what sort of fertilizing it would need. She then turned to watering the roses, absently making sure to clean the blooms of dirt. They looked better for it. Taking the harvested fruits and vegetables into the house, she made herself lunch on a break before she finished clearing out the second bed. Nothing heavy, just a sandwich that she ate in the pasture, stretched out on a blanket, with a book she'd been meaning to read. After finishing her meal, she planned to waste the hour away with her book, but the atmosphere decided otherwise. The warm breeze lulled her senses, and... Hermione woke up dazed. Laying on her side with her head resting on her arm, she noticed the book beside her. It was hard to tell how much time had passed until she glanced at her watch. More than an hour. After sitting up and stretching, she rolled her shoulders and turned her head from side to side to ease away the stiffness that came with sleep. She was about to pack up when she felt the tingle of her wards. She had a guest. And it wasn't one Hermione had expected. Narcissa. Her patient had finally been released from the hospital that morning. She was accompanied by Scorpius, which Hermione learned when she found them sitting together on the sofa in her living room. Narcissa looked slightly off. It piqued her curiosity because moments like that had increased since her incident. Scorpius waved, and Hermione responded in kind. But then he signed, and she dropped everything. Help. Wrong. Narcissa? The witch turned slowly to the sound of Hermione's voice. How are you doing? Just fine. She stood up. Be a dear and watch Draco for me. She sauntered off in the direction of the conservatory, leaving her and Scorpius exchanging looks. It took a few questions, signed responses, and headshakes to learn that her behavior had changed as soon as she sat down. Scorpius took Hermione's offered hand, and she led the way to the conservatory where Narcissa was not. Hermione nearly dropped his hand in panic, but tried to remain calm, quickly spotting Narcissa walking in the pasture. This was a dilemma. She didn't want to leave Scorpius alone, but she didn't know if she should bring him with her to chase after his grandmother, either. She thought about calling for Draco, but remembered he was at a restoration meeting. She flew called Andromeda, but she needed a few minutes to finish what she was doing before she was able to leave, which left Catherine, who arrived not a minute after the green flame ceased. "'Everything okay?' Narcissa said she was coming here and Scorpius wanted to see you. "'I need you to watch him,' Hermione summoned a book of owls, propped Scorpius on the swing, and gestured for Catherine to join him. "'I'll be right back.' Scorpius nodded, his face serious as he turned the first page. Narcissa hadn't gone far. It was probably the most casual Hermione had ever seen her. Sitting at the center of her blanket out in the pasture, legs folded, gazed somewhere off in the distance, she looked helpless. When Hermione sat down, there was a sadness in the very breath Narcissa exhaled. "'I don't remember coming here.' "'You're safe,' Hermione touched her shoulder and watched as the witch's eyes lifted to the blue skies. "'Scorpius is safe, too. Everything is fine.' "'No, everything is not fine.' Narcissa's voice was barely louder than the rustle of the trees. "'It's going to keep happening.' I'm going to keep leaving and leaving until I don't come back one day. I'm going to keep forgetting, and waking up in places not knowing how I got there. There is no end to this beyond. For once, Hermione didn't know what to say. 
The cold truth was yes, she was right, but it didn't seem appropriate to respond with logic. Only emotion. But Narcissa beat her to it by resting her head on her shoulder in a move that shocked Hermione still. They simply sat, just like that. Occasionally, Hermione shot squinting glances over her shoulder, to where she could barely make out Scorpius obediently looking down at the book in his lap. They sat. Hermione's arm curled around her, holding her in place, tethering her to reality. They sat. Listening to the sounds of birds, of nature, of life itself, the seconds rolled by. They sat until Narcissa finally spoke. It's Lucius's birthday. She fiddled with the ring around her neck. I miss him every day, but on hard days like today, I miss him the most. What do you miss most about him? While Hermione didn't know Lucius Malfoy outside of what she'd experienced and read about, he had been an important part of Narcissa's life, and her memories. Memories that she was losing. It probably felt like losing him all over again. More than once. Every incident. Every day. I miss his voice. His smile. How he smelled and laughed. His presence. Narcissa fell silent. Silly, I know. No, it's not. It's how you feel, and no one can tell you how to grieve. On days like this, she lowered her head and took a deep breath, I think of Scorpius, and understand why you have been fighting so hard for him. I think of Draco, and understand why he's been so angry at me. Your son carries a lot of weight on his shoulders. I have done him no favors. Narcissa never stopped touching the ring around her neck. On some level, I have known all along. I have just been too stubborn to see. Now that you understand better, you can do better. Draco has been more amenable since my accident. He speaks to me now, and not just to be polite. He's trying, as am I. Hermione looked over her shoulder as she listened, feeling the wards tingle with a new arrival. Andromeda. Scorpius remained on the swing, but he was no longer looking down, just straight ahead. Do you want to come back to the house? No. Narcissa's voice was still distant. I would like to sit here and remember while I can. Hermione let her do just that, swapping places with Andromeda, who sat next to her sister and held her. The contrast between them, right down to their hair colors, was startling against the green of the pasture around them. Scorpius didn't ease off the swing until she was standing directly in front of him and nodding for Catherine to return to the house. He peered out in the pasture where his grandmother sat with Andromeda before turning worried eyes to her. She's sad, but she's okay. It was the best explanation Hermione could give. Scorpius placed the book on the swing and led the way to the greenhouse, waiting patiently by the door for her to open it. Hermione followed the little boy who had a specific destination in mind the tangerine tree. It was full of ripened fruit, and Hermione summoned a few after a long look. Not knowing what he had in mind, she followed him back outside. His next stop became clearer the closer they got to the Black Sisters, and Hermione hung back as he approached them on his own. Standing at attention, he offered the fruit to his grandmother. The tangerine looked as ripe as his nerves, but he didn't run. Narcissa didn't move to accept it, but she wore a soft smile Hermione had never seen directed at Scorpius before. She glanced at Hermione, 
who prompted her with a nod. She could do this. After another painfully awkward moment, Hermione almost abandoned her plan to not step in when Narcissa, in probably the least graceful move she'd ever made, beckoned him closer. Stiffly, Scorpius obeyed. Andromeda said something Scorpius didn't react to because he was staring at his grandmother. But when she brushed the hair from his forehead, he didn't flinch or move away. He just blinked at her in bewilderment. It was such a change from how she normally handled him. And change always got his attention. Narcissa's following words seemed as soft as her expression, and his reaction confirmed it. Scorpius physically relaxed, loosened his stance, took a tiny, awkward step forward. Narcissa seemed to jolt, fumbling while peeling her fruit. From her illness or her nerves, Hermione couldn't tell. Intently focused, he watched each of Narcissa's actions eagerly. Scorpius was slow to accept the offered tangerine slice, but he did so with a cautious smile, and only after dusting his little hands on his trousers, something he never would have done, much less in front of his grandmother, when Hermione had first met him. His dimpled smile was hesitant yet present, and Narcissa returned one equally so. They bit down at the same time. It was a stunning sight, thought-provoking and evocative. And when Scorpius backed away, scrambling back towards Hermione, Narcissa and Andromeda exchanged looks, then smiles. Hermione barely had time to squat before he walked into her embrace, tucking his head into the crook of her neck and letting go of the nerves he'd had all along. Narcissa and Andromeda looked over, catching her as she placed a hand on the back of his head. "'You did so well, love!' Scorpius lifted up, still flushing but smiling. He looked so proud of himself. "'Ready?' He nodded. Scorpius wanted to help in the garden, but he certainly wasn't dressed for it. A quick trip into the house, and she found Al's clothes for him to wear. Not long after, he was ready to work. With gloves of his own on, Scorpius followed Hermione, holding the empty wicker basket that was almost as big as him. She had picked from the plants outside, and now it was time for the ones in the greenhouse. When she opened the greenhouse door for Scorpius, he only made it a few steps inside before he sat the basket down and tilted his head up. Now that he wasn't on a mission, Hermione found herself trailing after him as he freely explored every corner, plants, flowers, and herbs, touching nothing but looking around at everything that had grown since his last visit. Hermione peeled off his gloves. Follow me. And he did, looking up at her more than the plants, which she only knew because she was looking back at him. She led him to the corner where the fruit she'd grown was plentiful, and he pointed at the strawberry bushes, signing for permission to touch. "'Of course.' Hermione spoke and signed her permission at the same time. "'I'll show you. Look for the bright red berries.' Scorpius found one, and while there were many surrounding it, it was the first one he saw, the first one he cupped in his hand. Always so careful, so gentle, so respectful. "'Is this the one?' He nodded with a smile. She picked a strawberry next to it to show him how. Watch me, okay? He shuffled just a bit closer. Grab the stem right here between your fingers and thumb. She reached over and wiggled both, which made him laugh. Then pull and twist at the same time, like this. Hermione did just that, and the berry rolled into the palm of her hand. Scorpius's actions weren't quite as smooth, but he was still successful. The smile he gave to her was bright, warm. Using their wands, Hermione rinsed off both strawberries and encouraged him to try it, watching as Scorpius bit into the fruit. His eyes lit up at the sweetness before she bit into her own. 
From there they tried the grapes, and she laughed at the scrunched face he made when he tasted a fresh lemon. They picked more tangerines for him to take home, and Hermione went back and picked a few extra things to make for him at a later point in the week. The basket was halfway full before Hermione insisted on carrying it, and though he handed it over, Scorpius kept his hand on the handle, helping. The arca plant was close to needing to be repotted. The once stubborn dittany was beginning to flourish, just like the boy at her side. When they finished in the greenhouse, there were still a few flower beds that needed weeding. She sent Scorpius to water the flowers along the edge of her fence with a watering can that was charmed to refill each time it emptied. Hermione snuck glances at Scorpius while she worked, watching as he stopped in front of each plant, stooped to its level, and touched the petals of each flower before watering it. Shaking her head, she continued cleaning out the soil, while planning something to make for dinner. With Narcissa and Andromeda still on the blanket, there was no telling how long they would be there. Perhaps, if they stayed, they would dine around sunset, and remain long enough for Scorpius to see the stars. Maybe they would all look. It was going to be a clear night, a perfect one for Draco to join them. To be present. A whisper on the wind caught her attention, and she turned to see where Scorpius had moved on and was standing in front of the camellia that was barely taller than him. He craned his neck in an attempt to see over the plant, but he couldn't. Hermione watched as he set down the watering can and touched a flower, just like he had done before. Hermione moved on, but another sound drew her from her task again. A voice. Hermione slowly approached Scorpius, but he was too focused on the task of touching each flower with careful fingers before doing the same to the next, almost as if he were greeting them. And then she heard it again, soft and barely audible, hoarse from lack of use, but definitely his voice. She felt a rush of realization and excitement, torn between approaching and retreating, but jolted when he picked up his watering can and moved along to the tulips, watering them and greeting each colorful flower with kindness and respect. Hermione stepped closer, focused, zeroed in on the little boy who seemed to be in his own world. Her heart beat faster than a hummingbird's wings. Like most five-year-olds, he veered off task, catching sight of the roses on the other side of the vegetable patch. Off he went with the watering can in tow. From where he stood, Scorpius's back was to her completely. He sat the canister down, stooped low, and started from the bottom, touching the blooms and speaking one word to each. A word he had previously signed. Their first word. Over and over, he spoke to the plants. Hermione approached him from behind, placing a hand on his shoulder. It startled him a bit, and he turned to her, eyes following each movement as she kneeled next to him. He returned her smile before touching another bloom and leaning in to whisper a small greeting. Her hand trembled on his shoulder. "'Are you saying hello to the—' Scorpius looked at her, and only her, eyes bright and as blue as the sky. The only sign of his nerves was the hand that slipped into hers. Communication came in many forms—sight, touch, and sound—and each form had taught Hermione its power. They started from looks and understanding, and moved to signing with their hands— it was a journey of patience, hope, and love. Hermione found herself overwhelmed to the point of tears when Scorpius stepped closer. His face was brave and earnest as he finally spoke a single word. Hi. The finest language is mostly made up of simple words. 
George Eliot.